2: Your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 3G at the Weston Hotel in Jackson, Mississippi. Today's show is recorded on the 12th of August, 2021. episode, a controller's mistake puts two flights on a collision course at Paris's Charles de Gaulle Airport. It takes half an hour for a U.S. freighter to make an emergency landing in Japan following indications of a cargo fire. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale. So get all settled in. tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger and Flight 484 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio
3: Roger. He's an award winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all news station in the nation. 1010 wins in
4: New York City.
3: Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guys Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia, and joining us from across the pond.
5: In Hartford,
6: Hereford, and Hampshire.
3: He is a professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340, captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick.
7: (laughs) Hi there, Jeff. Ah, the last, the show is on the road. Can't wait.
3: Stand by for news. Let's start off with this. It's a video. It's um, from, what is it? Real ATC Communications? What's the name of this uh, YouTube uh, channel? Somebody help Uh, me out. Real ATC, 100% Real ATC. Um, Reconstruction of the flight. Maybe that's the name of the channel. Okay. Well, regardless, I am going to play a video and we're going to all listen to it and then we're going to talk about it because that's what we do here on the APG and take it away. All right. Reconstruction of flights. Uh, This is a 29 of July in Tokyo, Japan, a national cargo Boeing 747, 400 registration, 756 CA performing flight 891 from Tokyo Narita International Airport to Seoul. Cargo eight Wait a minute! I'm not. F- I can't read that fast. Uh, stop it! That's not fair. Okay, let me. These damned
7: Americans—they're getting ahead of themselves again.
3: Well, <laughs> okay. Uh, they were flying eight ninety one from uh, Tokyo to Seoul in South Korea during climb out of Narita Airport, about twenty seven thousand feet. It reported a fire indication in a cargo compartment, declared an emergency, and requested return back to Narita International Airport. After landing, the aircraft stayed on the ground for about four days. Uh, important position of the airplane may not be accurate. We don't show uninvolved airplanes. Unnecessary communications were trimmed. Okay, that's the, a little note from this uh, YouTuber. And so now I'm going to hit the play button. If you're watching the video, you'll be able to watch it along with us. If you are listening to the audio only podcast, which most of you are, uh, then you might want to look at this again um, to see the radar track. Although you you get the gist of pretty much most of what is happening here by just listening to the audio. So here we go. Take it away. I'm ready now. Move on. Let's go.
0: With you climbing uh, 210 for 240 and requesting uh, flight level about
8: 370. National Cog 8901, Tokyo Control, I say again request we More
0: requests, I'm sorry, let's change that to flight level 340.
8: National Cog 8901, climb main camp, flight level 340.
0: Okay, 340, that's our level.
8: National Cargo 891, clear direct to Sopra, Shara, Alpha, Papa, Romeo, Alpha, Sopra.
0: Clear direct Sopra, National Cargo 891, arigatou gajimata. And, uh, ATC, uh, National Cargo 891, uh, we've got a fire cargo aft warning, we'd like the vector back to Narita.
8: National Cargo 891, sorry again, please.
0: Can you give us the vector back to Narita this time?
8: National Cargo 8901,
0: say We're going down. Yeah, get a vector back to the airport. To Narita, National Cargo 8901.
8: National Cargo 8901, you're concerned about the airport.
0: Yeah, we'd like a vector back. We're declaring emergency at this time. We've got a fire cargo app, and we'd like to uh, return to Haneda or Narita. National Cargo
8: 8901, confirm your request back to Narita airport. That's affirmative. National Cargo 8901, uh, do you accept first vector or North vector? Which do you accept? Say that again. National Cargo 8901, do you request first vector to go back to Narita
0: or North vector? That's affirmative, short vector.
8: National Cargo 8901, fly heading 180 vector to Narita. Heading
0: 180
9: vector to Narita, National Cargo 8901, Tokyo Control.
0: Yes, sir, we got a fire cargo aft and we like vectors to nearest airport.
9: National Cargo 891, confirm, do you request return back to Narita? That's affirmative, National Cargo
0: 891.
9: Roger, request reason.
0: We've got a fire cargo
9: aft. Fire alert on in cars. National Cargo 891, confirm, do you request emergency landing?
0: Emergency landing, that's correct.
3: We are unable to hear the controller in the next short part of communications, but it's easy. Oh, I can't read that fast. Hey, heading
10: 180, maintain uh, altitude 180, master cargo 8901.
3: So, one side of this conversation is not being picked up by the.
10: cargo eight, nine,
3: or 1 the controller is asking about what the what's going on why do you need to come back
10: Heading 160, cargo, eight, nine, or one.
3: pilot was instructed to change frequency
10: cargo, eight, nine, or one. and uh, control national cargo 801 uh, they sent us back to you uh, we're descending and uh, leveling at 180.
3: Pilot was instructed to turn on heading one five zero.
10: Left turning one five zero. Master eight nine zero one.
3: Pilot was instructed to turn on heading one eight zero.
10: Okay, right turn one eight zero. Master eight nine
3: zero one. Seems that controller asked the pilot if they needed any assistance yes, on the ground. we
10: request emergency equipment. eight nine zero one. Again. <laughs> that is a firm. Master cargo eight nine zero one. A Well, we request direct airport this time with declared emergency, National Cargo 8901. Mayday. Okay, zero, 090, zero, Nash Cargo 8901.
3: Pilot instructed yeah, to eight, turn to 070. Go ahead. 070, Nash Cargo
10: 8901.
3: Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, it would have been helpful if they okay, done one, that six, right at right. the beginning. Okay,
9: Cargo 8901. Yep.
3: I have a feeling we're going to talk about that.
9: <laughs> okay, okay, NASCARGO, uh, eight, nine, one. National Cargo 891D710 Slotable 150. Okay, controller's back. 150, National Cargo 891D7D710 8000, and the LWNH 2962. 82962,
10: Nash Cargo 8901. National Cargo
9: 891 Tokyo Control. Uh, go, sir. Yes, uh, we have already connected to Narita Airport to ready to uh, fire vehicle. And uh, do you need, another any assistance? I
10: uh, Just fire
9: uh, trucks. That's all we need. Ashparga 8, Manor 1. it are already standing by fire vehicle at Narita Airport.
3: Fire vehicles are standing by.
9: Roger. National Cargo 891, this time con, contact
10: Tokyo
5: Approach 120.2, two. 2, 1, 2, 2. 2, 0.2 National Cargo 891. And approach National Cargo 891 out of the 12 for 8. National Cargo 891, Tokyo Approach, Ajadan Information Rematch, H2N64, expect LTRT Runway 16, right approach. One six right Naravan,
0: center
5: Naravan, present heading, approach call. Roger, continue present heading, that's request on board. We have six passengers, on board. 6, and uh, request uh, remaining fuel at the time of landing, please.
10: Okay, uh, we'd like to continue descent on uh, Cargo
5: 891.
10: Ash 891, maintain 8000
5: and X. Something. Ash Cargo 891, confirm, do you need uh, any fuel dumping?
10: Negative, National Cargo 891. Only inform them do not open any cargo doors until notified. Yes. Upon landing, do not have them open any doors. National Cargo 891 will tell power. National yes. Cargo 891, Okay, Okay, request. Yes? National
3: Cargo
5: 891, 4,000.
10: 4,000,
5: Nash Cargo uh, one National Fang 891, expect about 5 minutes before landing. Expect a request to your fuel remaining fuel at the time of landing.
10: 90,000, Nash Cargo eight hundred one. Confirm
5: 90,000.
10: Affirm 90,000 kilograms.
5: Thank you. And uh, do you have any hazmat on board?
10: Affirm. Cargo 891.
5: What kind of hazmat on board? Lithium batteries, Cargo 891. Uh-oh. Battery copies. NASCARGA 891, turn left heading 050. 050, Cargo 891.
3: Wish that Rick were here.
5: That's our engagement number one. two thousand eight
10: hundred. We're two thousand
5: eight hundred. cargo eight zero one. That's left heading zero three zero.
10: Zero three zero. Nash cargo eight zero
5: one. That's our 891. number right heading zero seven zero. Zero seven zero. Nash
10: cargo 891.
5: Right Approach. Okay, uh, heading uh, One Three Zero Clear for the One Six Right Approach. Okay, uh, uh, right approach National Cargo Eight Nine One. Nantucket
10: County 891, contact Narita Tower 2 Zero Two. Eighty Two National Cargo Eight Nine One. Central
5: National Cargo
10: Eight Nine One. Uh, uh, Sixteen right, and we request that no doors be opened during landing after we land. Over hey, clear to land one six right, ash cargo eight nine, one.
3: And they land. Little picture of an animation of a landing. And- No smoke. Uh, they vacated the runway, and happy they lived happily ever after. <laughs> yes, wow, yes. Uh, several of you were saying this is painful. <laughs> we agree. Uh, well, they, they had some distance to go.
7: After all, they climbed all the way up to twenty m- mid twenties, so you know it takes them a while to get back down again. Oh, hello. Mm-hmm.
3: Oh, look, we have somebody joining us. And let's just do a quick introduction here. From her lakeside studio on Lake... Uh, you know her. I mean, all the things that she does. She's a... Skydiver, a marathon runner, a doctor, a uh, jumper, dumper, and uh, our favorite co-host who living in (laughs) in the Charlotte area. It's Doctor Steph. (laughs)
11: Nice try. (laughs) Not sure where that was going. I wasn't. I appreciate (laughs) it though. Yeah. Uh, Good to be here. Sorry for my tardiness. You guys have been going for, what, like 55 minutes already or so?
3: No, we haven't. We um, actually just started, I don't know, how long ago, Nick? Not that long ago. Um, Uh, No, we've been going for about uh, uh,
7: 5, 10 minutes. Yes, I'm
3: I'm aware. Oh, I see. You're being snarky, too. Okay, got it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Sorry. (laughs) Anyway,
11: on with the uh, on with the news. I did miss the very beginning of this though, so I'm not sure what the. I'll let you guys start talking okay. about it. And then
3: so let's I'll... kind of recap right. what's happening here. We have a national cargo uh, 747 uh, taking off out of Narita, heading over to Incheon, uh, South Korea, and uh, they got an indication of a an. Uh, Interesting way they put it, uh, it's almost like they're reading the uh, little enunciator light. Um, a fire in the aft cargo compartment. I would have just told, well, first of all, obviously they have a fire or a fire indication. You have an indication. You have to treat it as if you really are on fire. And so that's one of those no time things. You just got to turn around and tell people what you're doing. And let's make the first thing you say, especially over in that part of the world, but As we talked about on our uh, several of the latest podcasts, uh, let's just start using Mayday, Mayday, Mayday anytime you declare an emergency. Yes, even us Americans who are not used to doing that, we just probably should get used to doing that. But if you're flying over there in Japan, Mayday, Mayday, Mayday and Squawk 7700, that way there's no, you know, there was a lot of confusion right off the bat. Wouldn't you say, Nick? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the
7: term uh, he used fire cargo aft. Yeah. Well, that is not an internationally recognized thing. All right. Fire, perhaps. But the controller would be going what the hell what's a fire cargo after that's what i was doing so yeah mayday mayday (laughs) mayday (laughs) we have a fire in the cargo compartment or something you know just plain english uh, rather than reading out what's on your qrh checklist or or whatever Mm -hmm. Uh, because the controller doesn't it's a different terminology for every aircraft type the it would be something different uh, in the uh, in the airbus. It would be a smoke warning. It wouldn't be a fire warning for a start. Um, so, you know, it, it it's different. And it just, um, it, it was just, they got off on the wrong foot. And I don't think um, they really established the urgency of their situation. Uh, and they didn't make it clear what their intentions were. So I think before you... Make that first vital transmission. Get it clear in your head what you're going to tell the controller and what you want to do. Uh, because they said Narita or Haneda, as if they want the controller to make the decision for them. Or and then they said nearest suitable airfield. And uh, so I'm going. Okay, guys. You know the these folk. Uh, uh, will give you information, but they're not going to think for you, particularly in Japan with the language problems they you're going to have.
3: Right. That's why, and it, it, I can't stress enough, that's one of the worst things that can happen to us in an airplane, is the airplane on fire. Whether it really is on fire or not, you just have to assume that... There's nobody back there, you know. That's not one where you're like,
11: you know what? Let's just continue for a little bit and see what happens. Run
3: some checklists. Run some check. No, no. no. Exactly.
11: Assume the fire is there.
3: And and you know, so mayday, squawking seventy-seven hundred. We're on fire. They understand that. Um, and then just point the airplane back at wherever you want to land, and uh, and start descending, and and basically tell them what you're going to do, um, and. They'll work it out. They'll move everybody out of the way. Uh, You'll just have to be aware of the terrain uh, and such. So you're kind of on your own there and uh, hoping that you get help from air traffic control. But, um, yeah, it seems to me that we're just way too dependent upon air traffic control to give them, you know, proper clearances to do certain things. And I don't know. It, it just I came in
11: st- around the point where they said we are uh, at this point we're just going straight back to the airport or something along those lines like we need to go back now and then they were right. still I wasn't sure if the vectors they were getting were. No. Direct back to the airport or not?
7: No, no. Particularly initially, they got turned south, which was like 90 degrees to where they wanted to go. They were making no progress for quite a while until they established that they were definitely going back to Narita. And then I think they just probably gave them a bit of guidance around airspace we can't see on that map. Uh, But having said that, if you have declared a a mayday and if you feel it's absolutely necessary, then you just say, I am turning onto a heading. Uh, And I am descending my aircraft. Now, it's a pretty risky thing to do in busy airspace. So it's much better to do it with the permission of air traffic so they will have cleared the airspace for you. Because if you just do things uh, preemptively, you might be uh, setting things up for your own situation, but you might have created an even worse situation underneath you or be in even more danger. uh, You know, you risk a collision. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, having said that, um, and I hate to criticize these pilots because they had a lot on their plate. They had quite a casual conversational tone through, even before they had the problem, you know, it was, it was really a, Conversational style of radio mm-hmm. transmission, which is not easy for the Japanese controllers to cope with. Uh, they are used to set phrases; they learn them, and then they will be able to respond to them. And, uh, for example, you know, just the, the height they were going to level off at. Uh, are we about flight level three seven zero? You don't say. You don't say about <laughs> flight level three seven zero to a Roughly, Japanese controller. Plus or minus, yeah. give or take a few. You,
11: uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs>
7: You tell them what you're requesting. A simple, yeah, request flight level 370. That will go down no problem at all.
4: Mm
7: -hmm. Anything else is probably going to raise question marks. Now, some controllers are better than others. Some uh, really have exceptionally good English. Uh, The area controllers tend not to deal with anything other than straightforward instructions, simple instructions. So there's probably... Not good. And then when they realize there's an emergency, they will usually bring on the more experienced controllers with better standards of English. I don't know if you noticed towards the end of the uh, flight, the standard of English had improved uh, a, a bit. But regardless, you're always going to have problems in Japan when you say anything other than what, you know, their set phrases. Standard
3: RT. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I said
7: that, a lot of comments made about uh, the controllers. And yes, the Japanese controllers could definitely always do with uh, improving their standard of English, because for the majority, it's very basic. Uh, And we've had... Uh, I mean, this is a few years ago now, but we had problems with, uh, you know, aircraft diverting for really bad weather and uh, just getting the message across to the controller that they were short of fuel and they needed to divert now uh, was, for one of our crews, an almost insurmountable problem. And in the end, they declared a mayday and insisted on direct vectors to their diversion airfield. Then they got the service they needed. But up to that point, they'd had real problems explaining that they needed to divert because of the weather and that they were short of fuel. So they wanted to go direct track. This Just simple for, things like that.
11: For anyone, even if you've maybe thought through some scenarios like this or considered um, language barrier difficulties in communication, it's still very difficult for any individual when you're in a stressful situation, an emergency situation, to then remember that and break everything down into small digestible pieces that are standard in phraseology. Um, That's just not the way our brains generally work. But um, this is a good example of why that's important. And same with the one that you just brought up, Nick.
7: But having said that, the, the Japanese can do a, a very good job. Mm-hmm. I mean, they most of them are trained by um, American uh, training systems. And, um, you know, they get a lot of input from America. Uh, so they are pretty reasonable. Uh, they're certainly not the best country in the world, though, uh, if, you ha- if you have a problem that's out of the ordinary. So just keep it basic. Keep it simple. Um, and uh, you'll get the service uh, eventually that you you need. They're they're not very good at explaining why they're not doing or why they're doing what they're doing sometimes. So if you say, I need direct vectors, um, then sometimes they will not give you direct vectors because they can't, but they won't be able to explain why very easily because their English perhaps isn't up to it.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, communication, as we have said so many times on the show, over and over again, is a very, um, you know, communication is very important. And uh, we have another item in our news that deals with uh, miscommunication. And so let me share that with you all. Uh, this was uh, something that happened at uh, in, in Paris. A slip of the tongue by an air truck. By the way, this is from thetimes.co.uk. Um, a slip of the tongue by an air traffic controller put a United Airlines jet on course to collide with an EasyJet Airbus seconds before it aborted its landing at Paris, an official report revealed. Now, I think we did talk about this, or maybe we didn't. Maybe I just I read this quite some time ago and we never did talk about it on the show. Um, but regardless, we're going to continue. Disaster was averted when the pilots of the EasyJet plane saw the United Boeing 787 bearing down on their runway less than 300 feet off the ground as they prepared to take off on July 20 last year, according to the Bureau of Inquiry and Analysis, the Air Accident Investigation Branch. The tower controller controller had told the United flight from Newark, New Jersey, which was carrying 73 people, that it was clear to land on runway nine right at Charles de Gaulle Airport. The jet was on the approach to runway nine left, but the pilots assumed they were being told to sidestep to the right. The United co-pilot asked for confirmation with an English expression not grasped by the controller using the word understand rather than confirm. The controller did not react to and cleared the EasyJet Airbus, which was leaving for Malaga, uh, Malaga, excuse me, onto the same runway to take off. Only when they were already on the runway did the pilots realize the danger. The Boeing was less than a mile away, descending at 160 miles per hour. The EasyJet co-pilot radioed traffic landing nine right and told the Boeing, go around nine right, go around. The Boeing came within 80 feet of the ground, just 250 yards from the end of the runway before climbing away. The controller told investigators that she thought her tongue had slipped because she was focused on runway nine right with an Air France Boeing 787 that had just landed there, the report said. The report also faulted the United pilots for failing to use clearer language. So here we go again. Miscommunication. And I think we did talk about this Yeah, one. it seems like it, this mm-hmm. is familiar to me. So I guess mm-hmm. the final report just came out or something. Sure. Yeah.
11: Yeah, very familiar. Because there was the whole confusion about which uh, runway they were supposed to be landing on. And then the mm-hmm. company. yeah, exactly as it said.
7: Yeah. Um, I, I read this and I went, okay, um, they criticized the uh, United crew, but I'm going to go, I don't think that's entirely justified here because... Uh, I think it's fairly common to say understand rather than confirm. It's not confirm is not one of those essential words that we use. Um, it would be quite common I think for people to substitute understand rather than confirm. Uh, so yes, it, it did add to her confusion or she didn't pick up the con- the concern that the, um, the crew had. Having said that, when when you're told to switch runways, you're particularly when you're established. Um, you're usually given change of runway or asked to sidestep. And without that com- sidestep command, I would have really been unsure. But that's why they asked. Understand. So I would have tried to make it a little clearer. Confirm you are requesting a yeah. sidestep onto runway blah blah blah. Yeah. So, but she, the controller was the one that allocated the wrong runway. So, you know, I suppose the uh, ultimate blame has to land in her lap.
3: And if I remember correctly, when we talked about this last year or whenever we covered this, uh, the EasyJet, I don't believe, actually went onto the runway. I think they 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 held short of the runway because they could see that the United was coming in, and they heard them cleared to land on nine right, and they. Huh, let's you know pause for a moment and not go actually on the runway, but I could be wrong about that, but that's my recollection.
7: Yeah, it'd be hard to see down the approach if uh, you were actually on the runway, wouldn't it? Because it's all yeah. coming from behind mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. unless you're looking at your TCAS. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but uh, again, I, we are getting quite a lot of these uh, miscommunications, and it all comes down to um, basic use of standard. You know, ATC phrase or standard radio communications. And mm-hmm.
11: if do- something doesn't seem right, don't just assume. Ask for clarification, and ask for clarification again if you need to.
3: Yeah, exactly. And I, maybe I,
11: rephrase I, when you ask for clarification. Don't just keep saying the same thing over and over and over again if it's not being understood. Or
3: coming into sure uh, understood. coming into Jackson, Mississippi today, um, somebody on the radio frequency asked center to confirm. That they were cleared to you know, like they said something and confirm we're cleared to flight level two three zero. And he said, confirmative. <laughs> 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 I like that. Very yeah, good. I like right that good. too. I like that word. It uh, was he was confirming see, uh, and and it was positive. Yeah. Confirmative. Uh, yeah. Confirmative.
7: We we were always told not to give the height that if we're requesting a confirmation, you don't say, Oh, I'm, did you clear me to climb flight level blah blah blah? Um, you just say confirm height cleared. Too. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the controller says the height again, uh, because otherwise, um, you know, if you say the height and the controller mishears it, then you, he could confirm that you've and, you know, you right. could end up repeating the error. So just ask for the clearance again uh if you uh, there you go confirmed cleared, level thank you yeah pip because i've been out of the business for a little while now and those phrases are starting
3: to disappear from my memory well it's a good thing we have pip hmm. pip with us
4: <laughs> yes
3: and so many Why? other great uh, folks in our live chat by the way a reminder if you're listening to the audio only podcast uh you should take the time to join this great group of folks uh when we do this recording live every week Uh, you'll enjoy the conversation well maybe you'll enjoy some of it (laughs) maybe you'll get frustrated you know on the other hand maybe you shouldn't join us on the live show because it's very frustrating (laughs) just kidding all right um anything else you want to say uh steph before we move to the next nope okie doke um this is a final report, uh, and this I do remember talking about this one. This was the Miami Air 737-800 uh, registration 732 MA performing flight 293 from Guantanamo Bay Naval Air Station in Cuba to Jacksonville Naval Air Station with 136 passengers and seven crew. They landed on Jacksonville NAS's runway 10 at 2142 local time but overran the end of the runway and came to a stop in the shallow waters of the St. Johns River, about 380 meters or 1,250 feet past the end of the runway and was partially submerged. All occupants were able to evacuate the aircraft. Twenty-two occupants received minor injuries. One of them was taken to a hospital and released the following day. Jacksonville Sheriff's Office reported Marine units were called in to assist the rescue. All persons on board are alive and accounted for. Okay, these, that's kind of a recap on, by the way, I think this is from, yes, the uh, Aviation Herald. And so let me uh, scroll down and kind of get to the uh, final report. And that's the reason why we're talking about this. Uh, an extreme loss of braking friction due to heavy rain and the water depth of the ungrooved runway, which resulted in viscous hydroplaning. That was one of the probable causes. Uh, contributing to the accident was the operator's inadequate, gu- inadequate guidance for evaluating runway braking conditions and conducting an in en- route landing distance assessments. contributing Contributing to the continuation of an unstabilized approach were the captain's planned continuation bias and increased workload due to the weather and performing Czech airman duties, and to the first officer's lack of experience. According to both pilots, this is the NTSB analysis. According to both pilots, the takeoff, climb, and cruise portions of the flight were uneventful. The number one thrust reverser was not operational and deferred for the flight in accordance with the airplane's minimum equipment list, the MEL. The captain was a pilot flying for the accident flight. The first officer was a pilot monitoring. The captain was also performing check airman duties for the first officer, who was in the process of completing operating experience training. During the approach to Jacksonville Naval Air Station, the flight crew had two runway change discussions with air traffic controllers due to the reported weather conditions, moderate to heavy precipitation. Yeah, there were a lot of kind of pretty nasty thunderstorms around the airport. Uh, The pilots ultimately executed the area navigation GPS approach to runway 10, which was ungrooved and had a displaced threshold 997 feet from the threshold, leaving an available landing distance of 8,006 feet. As the airplane descended through 1,390 feet uh, mean sea level, the pilots configured it for landing with the flat set at 30 degrees and the landing gear extended. However, the speed brake handle was not placed in the arm position as specified in the landing checklist. That's not good. At an altitude of about 1,100 feet MSL and 2.8 nautical miles from the runway, the airplane was slightly above the glide path and its airspeed was on target. Over the next minute, the indicated airspeed increased to 170 knots, which is 17 knots above the target approach speed, and ground speed reached 180 knots, including an estimated 7-knot tailwind. At an altitude of about 680 feet MSL and 1.6 nautical miles from the threshold, the airplane deviated further above the 3-degree glide path such that the precision approach path indicator lights would have appeared to the flight crew as four white lights and would retain that appearance throughout the rest of the approach. Eight seconds before touchdown, multiple enhanced ground proximity warning system alerts announced sink rate as the airplane's descent rate peaked at 1,580 feet per minute, The airplane crossed the displaced threshold 120 feet above the runway. The Pappy glide path crosses the displaced threshold about 54 feet above the runway. And, excuse me, 17 knots above the target approach speed with a ground speed of 180 knots and a rate of descent of about 1,450 feet per minute. Wow, that's a very high (laughs) (laughs) descent rate that low to the ground. Uh, Wow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, usually when you're any... Point in that final approach, anything more than one thousand feet per minute usually is um, means you're not stabilized and you need to go around and try it again. Mm-hmm. But if you're only what did they say, fifty four feet above the runway? No, hundred and twenty. No, they were hundred and twenty.
11: The thr- they should have been fifty four feet above. So
3: they were runway. even sort of more than twice as high as they should be, and they uh, were fourteen hundred and fifty feet per minute, and they were fast. You're right. Wow, mm-hmm. not a good recipe. Not- nothing
11: sounding stabilized there.
3: Nope. Not at all. Uh, The airplane touched down about 1,580 feet beyond the displaced threshold, which was 80 feet beyond the designated touchdown zone as specified in the operator's standard operating procedures, or SOP. After touchdown, the captain deployed the number two engine thrust reverser and began braking. He later reported, however, that he did not feel the aircraft decelerate and increased the brake pressure. The speed brakes deployed about four seconds after touchdown, most likely triggered by the movement of the right throttle into the idle reverse thrust detent after main gear tire spin-up. The automatic deployment of the speed brakes was likely delayed by about three seconds compared to the automatic deployment that could have been obtained by arming the speed brakes before landing. The airplane crossed the end of the runway about 55 feet right of the center line and impacted a seawall 90 feet to the right of the center line, 9,170 feet beyond the displaced threshold and 1,164 feet beyond the departure end of the runway. After the airplane came to rest in St. John's River, the flight crew began an emergency evacuation. So again, it talks about the tailwind, the airplane's excessive approach speed, delayed speed brake deployment, increased the energy with which the airplane departed the runway and impacted the seawall, which contributed to the severity of the accident. However, post-accident landing performance calculations reveal that even if the airplane had landed on target speed within the operator's specified touchdown zone, It would not have been able to stop before reaching the end of the paved runway surface due to the presence of standing water, with depths close to that defined as a flooded condition on portions of the runway and the resulting viscous hydroplaning. Uh, Viscous hydroplaning is associated with the buildup of water pressure under the tire due to viscosity and a thin film of water between a portion of the tire footprint and the runway surface. Uh, So, yeah. Uh, and there is more detail here, but basically they screwed up. They didn't really do a good assessment of landing performance, um, especially for those conditions, and then they just made it even worse by uh, coming in steep, fast, and, uh, yeah, just uh, botched the whole thing up.
7: Yeah, uh, on top of that, I mean, the guy who was um, conducting the flight uh, the captain was uh, supposed to be doing training he was also flying the aircraft um, he was uh, in a in poor weather um, so uh, you know that everything was stacked against him really and I he, whereas if you've been flying with an experienced first officer he would have uh, had cues and prompts from the other seat Um, to probably remind him that, uh, you know, they weren't stabilised. uh, They perhaps forgot the speed brakes. You know, an experienced FO would have been probably on top of this. uh, But, of course, he didn't have that. So he had everything stacked against him. However, when it comes to stabilised approach criteria, they are black and white. And if you don't achieve them, it's very simple. You just go around. uh, And then all your problems will actually ease because... You'll have time to, you know, set yourself back up again, apply the approach better next time. You might even have time to do that very important uh, runway landing distance uh, calculation. Yes.
11: Mm-hmm.
3: Well. And- it sounds
11: like they didn't really know that it was a flooded runway, though. They didn't get that information.
3: Well, they did know. Like th- they did know that it was a heavy thunderstorm, sure. um, and you know, a heck of a lot of rain on the runway. And they should have known that the runway was not, not grooved. Groove. Yep. So, yeah, you would just assume that uh, you know Lots you, of you it's going to be standing water on the runway. Not that there's going to be anybody out there, you know, with a with a measuring stick a to.
11: <laughs> yep, it's flooded.
3: It's definitely flooded. Yeah, I'm trying, Liz. She said, you need to play. Here we go. No, that's not it. <laughs>
7: you did that last week.
3: I know. If it don't no look right,
0: you're coming down. Don't wait until your silence keeps sliding on the ground. You can
3: go around. All right. You know, funny, I think,
7: Jeff. I always assumed that it was air traffic's responsibility to go out in the rain with a <laughs> measuring stick and tell you what the runway surface condition was, particularly if it was really bad. Like you look out the tower and it looks like there's huge puddles around. You might want to tell the guys that it, the the runway is has standing water, depth unknown. Give them some clue. Just don't. Don't just ignore
3: it. Yeah, but this was a navy base, and oh, these, oh okay. You know, these navy guys—they're yeah. used to be like those aircraft carriers, and they're surrounded by water. I mean, deep. Water. Oh yeah, that's water. Everywhere. So they're probably exactly thinking, oh, what's right. that? That's nothing." <laughs> these guys can handle yeah. that.
7: Yeah. Exactly right.
3: Yeah. Oh, Adam is uh, saying no. <laughs> <laughs> no, the tea won't drink itself. very good, Adam.
7: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
7: oh my. Yeah
3: all right well that's enough of that one um you know pretty much everything that we when we initially covered it uh we suspected that uh was a contributor to the uh accident and the ntsb basically confirmed all of our thoughts they probably listened to our show and then they Uh, did. i'm sure they 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 didn't even bother doing an investigation they (laughs) just
11: just, like yeah they they covered that that's just what we
3: should put in the (laughs) report You're welcome. That's what we say. Yeah. All right. Go <laughs> ahead. Yeah. Um, yes, uh, Liz says, APG is not a bunch of garbage. you. <laughs> you know you. what
11: NODAMs are.
3: <laughs> and I am I know you're expecting right. me to find that, but I can't. Uh, well, wait, here it is. That's what NODAMs are. They're just a bunch of garbage that nobody pays any attention to. <laughs> All true. right. Now, here, this next one. Is, is this is this for real this is i real. know it's like really is it's no way this is this is not possible so and i don't i think i i don't know if i stumbled upon this or, or who else it was floating something.
11: around and being posted to multiple oh very
3: good floating it. around uh-huh, uh-huh. Crack, no pun intended Lake michigan oh <laughs> 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 well, that's interesting i'm looking i've never noticed this before now, now that i've enlarged the photo a little bit. um I just thought it was this guy sitting in the uh, cockpit of this uh, Sea Wind Saga aircraft, amphibious aircraft. Uh, But now I noticed he's got that towel up against the control yoke with his knee kind of propped up against it. (laughs) I'm thinking, is the airplane not able to fly in trim? Mm. That's kind of Uh, weird, huh? Maybe
11: we should uh, read. Yeah, okay, let's do that
3: um let's see where does the reading stuff start okay here we go a small amphibious airplane is on the bottom of lake michigan after crashing during the fourth of july weekend but fasten your seat belts because the pilot says how it got there is one barnstormer of a story i don't know if i'd describe it like that but anyway dennis collier a licensed traverse city pilot Traverse City, Michigan, paid $110,000 for the 2010 seawind on a Saturday, ended up in the drink a week, week later, and on the way, crashed by his own account seven times in seven days in four states. Okay. I, I, he had a lot of cheese, Swiss cheese on board, is all I can say. Barely, you know we. Barely. We, you know, we really don't have enough time to read the whole thing, but it is quite a story that everybody should read. And, you know, from just about every segment of his journey from California to Lake Michigan, <laughs> uh, you it was you're scratching your head and shaking your head going, what, How? what, how is this? How is it that this guy hasn't died yet? <laughs> um.
11: I don't know. He used up seven of his nine lives, apparently, in this one, though. So yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, if I were him, I would not get into my, any more aircraft uh, or pilot them anytime soon.
3: No, it's just one of those stories where you, you think to yourself, really? I mean, is there any way that this could possibly be true? And, you know, I don't know. Maybe it isn't. Maybe uh, we haven't verified it, but we haven't done any fact checking. But uh, this um, amphibious. Ab- amphibious aircraft, the uh, seawind Saga. It's a pretty good-looking airplane. There's uh, a picture of November 8 UU, uniform, uniform. Um, and uh, I did a little bit of research on this, and a lot of folks will actually uh, take that uh, Lycoming, I think a 300-horse Lycoming engine that's kind of mounted in an unusual manner uh, from the vertical fin uh, forward of the uh, vertical stabilizer and Basically, just aft of the uh, cockpit area of the aircraft, but some people have actually uh, upgraded that engine to a uh, turboprop, like a Pratt and Whitney PT six. PT Yeah. Really? Interesting. So. Wow,
11: that's a lot of power. A lot of power
3: for it an engine. It is airplane an
7: unusual engine. place to stick it. Really. Um, well, mm-hmm. that's because it's sticking a out from the top of the yeah. fin. Yeah. yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Probably it 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 is. It's
11: not going to hit the water.
3: Looks very. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's you,
7: interesting. Liz. I wonder whether you get. A a change in elevator effectiveness, whether you've got full power or (laughs) idle. Because, I mean, the slipstream, the Mm. uh, slipstream must play directly on the elevators and change the Mm -hmm. airflow over them. Yeah. So I wonder if that's a factor for them. It's weird.
3: Very weird. I don't know. Uh, it's a, a unusual airplane, for sure. Uh, it looks pretty cool. Be, uh, I th- and they say it's kind of demanding to fly, and that might be part of the reason, Nick. Um, mm. But um, anyway, do yourself a favor. Read this article about this guy who basically, a week after purchasing this airplane for $110,000, uh, put it into Lake Michigan, and it sank for good. <laughs> so uh, if you're looking for one of these, uh, you can probably figure out where it went down and get a submarine or something and pull it up but i think it's pretty deep in that area of the lake
11: lake michigan on average is very deep okay so good
7: luck he explains why he's got that towel there because the left wing servo the hinge tab was stuck he said and the nose of the aircraft kept pitching up when it got worse he put a rag between his knee and the yoke Bracket steering wheel, (laughs) bracket, and pushed as hard as he could towards Nebraska. There (laughs) you go. Yes. So apparently he couldn't trim it out. Okay. So just keep
11: flying it. That's fine. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah, Just keep going. That's no problem. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) Well, several Mm. things. Lots of things went wrong. (laughs) Lots of things. Yeah. So, um, Hey, uh, yeah, let's see. What's his name again? Uh, De- Dennis. Collier. Dennis, if you're listening to our show and, and you want to defend yourself, please contact us. It would be fun <laughs> to talk to you. Yeah, send some feedback in. We'd love to know. <laughs> mm-hmm.
7: <laughs> anyway. About the decision process is going on here.
3: Peace, man. All right. <laughs> Absolutely. Love it. Yeah. So He's uh,
7: 80, 88 years old? No, I
3: think the guy no, that he that bought from. No, that was the guy from.
11: that built it.
7: In, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. All right. Fair enough. Okay. I was going to say, it didn't look that old. Doesn't look
11: a day over
3: what? 70?
11: 60 something? I don't yeah. know. I'm sure. Yeah.
3: Jeffrey Galloway says Swan Sea Wind for sale. Low hours, fresh paint, clean interior, light water damage, no low ball offers. <laughs> I know what I have. <laughs>
4: Very
3: cute. Oh dear. Our audience, they're so clever. All right. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, we have this item in the news. And I'm not sure if this is still going on or not. It's been in our news uh, notebook for a while. Um, uh, Have you guys heard about any updates on this story about fuel shortages? I have
11: not. Okay. Oh, Liz
3: is telling me, look at the last article. Okay, here we go. Last article is right here. Nantucket Airport runs out of jet fuel. And I'm assuming this is, this is from the, uh, what, uh, Nantucket uh, Magazine. Uh, Nantucket Memorial Airport has run out of jet fuel at the peak of summer, impacting commercial and private flights at one of New England's busiest transportation hubs. On Saturday, the airport suspended jet fuel sales and informed commercial carriers that they needed to fly into the island fully loaded with fuel due to the shortage. Airport officials said Saturday night that they were not only facing overwhelming demand for jet fuel, but also a logistical nightmare in getting fuel tanker trucks to the island due to record competition for reservations this summer on the Steamship Authority ferries. They also cited a national truck driver shortage as playing a role in the unprecedented situation. On Saturday, the airport reserved jet fuel for its scheduled air carriers, including JetBlue, Delta, United, and American, in order to ensure those flights and thousands of passengers reached their destinations. Around 1 p.m., the airport stopped selling fuel to the hundreds of private aircraft that come and go from the island on any given summer day. And Liz is believing that this article was written this past Saturday. Um, Yeah, so uh, our first article regarding the fuel shortages was talking about American airlines warning about the jet fuel shortages around the United States. And asking pilots to conserve, and uh, so it talks about these uh, possible issues. And I think it all kind of stems from the fact that uh, they're having a hard time finding people to drive these fuel truck, these tanker trucks with fuel to get them distributed to various airports.
7: If it's anything like uh, the United Kingdom, they've uh, had a lot of shortages in supermarkets and things because, you know. Um, A lot of truck drivers uh, have uh, caught the um, COVID or they've been pinged and are self-isolating. And um, uh, some guys have moved on to other jobs because uh, during the lockdown there wasn't, you know, perhaps a lot of work for them. Um, So, yeah, it's – and when you get a sudden demand like this, very hard to – to suddenly gear up a transport system that had previously been just idling along.
3: Yep. Uh, let's see, Jeff again. Just have the flights meet up with the tanker once they take off.
1: Hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Good not idea. a lot of
3: not a lot of commercial jets have that capability, Jeffrey, and you know that. <laughs> Smart Alec. Um, <laughs> well, they should change it. Yeah, yeah they, they should could wave at each other. That's true.
11: We have all the fuel. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's right. yeah. yeah. Um, Anywho, yeah, just you know, logistics, supply chain issues, like anything else.
3: No, right I have, in my own anecdotal experience, uh, at least. Well, I didn't fly for about thirty days, so maybe, maybe that's when all the fuel shortages were going on. But I have not noticed it um, before my little break, and since I've returned, uh, which was yesterday, so. um And in fact, um, Acme Airlines, I believe, said that they weren't really being affected too much by it, nor was Southwest Airlines. And I think they said they were just doing a lot of tankering. But again, I I have not done any tankering on on this trip as of yet. So maybe it's because of the type of airplane I fly. I don't know. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, Tankering for the uninitiated? Carrying. Carrying, yeah, extra fuel.
11: Like as in a tanker truck? Yeah. Did you act yeah. like your own tanker.
3: Yeah, so you, know, you carry to um, if you so the one of the things about tankering fuel is that it it's weight, and so the more weight you add to an airplane, the more fuel you're going to burn carrying that extra weight. But uh, the airlines will look at things such as the availability of fuel, but usually it's the price of fuel, and so a lot of times. If they can put extra fuel on board the airplane, that will help offset some of the costs of filling up the – well, not filling it up, but putting in fuel for the return flight, and uh, they can save some money in, in that way. Um, but uh, yeah, it's kind of a dual-edged sword, so to speak, as far as tankering fuel. But Yep. Anyway. Okay. That's about it. Anything else to add Mm -hmm. before we get on to my favorite part of the show, which is getting to know us. Oh, you know what I meant to do? I meant to uh, make an overlay that had the lyrics on here, just to prove (laughs) that I have the lyrics.
11: (laughs) And choose to ignore them.
3: Yeah, I just don't sing them the way that, just like the the Java Jive, the APG Java Jive, we changed the words on that too. It's true. Nobody ever says, don't you have the lyrics to that, Jeff? let me send no, them it, to you
11: <laughs> it kind of just flows anyway.
3: well yeah it you always sound like
11: you get lost in the in what you wanted to say i do
3: but that's part of the okay. that's part of the charm, charm. stuff Fair enough. Part of the if charm. you say
11: so if you say so i will stop giving you a hard time about it then yes, i did I'm not try-
3: realize that that was on purpose i'm trying to be charming it doesn't always work
11: <laughs> <laughs> carry on
3: yeah thanks all right. Um, so who, Steph, I think. <laughs> Actually,
11: I have to read Dale's comment here about tankering. Okay. This is a simple explanation. Tankering. <laughs> it's a bit like when you order two drinks for yourself at the bar because there's a long queue.
3: Very good That's exactly, yes. right. exactly what it is. Thank you, Dale. Yeah. And that's always a, a good plan when, yeah, there are long uh-huh. queues. Um, Steph, how have you been? Jeff.
11: Good. Um, oh, great. Busy. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so last show, I think you were telling
3: us about all these things you were going to do.
11: All these things. It was like one thing, um, which was to uh, participate in a triathlon, I believe. Oh, yeah. I think go? It was good. It was a lot of fun. Um, Quite a, a short triathlon, and it was about... I think they said they had seventy percent of the usual number of participants.
7: So it was only a bi- biathlon.
11: No, still triathlon. There's still three sports. <laughs> <Good>. um, <laughs> the swim portion was two hundred and fifty yards, uh, which is ten lengths of a the twenty-five yard pool, and the run was a. Or, I'm sorry, the the bike was a ten k, so six point two miles, and then two miles of running. Uh, mm. So it was fun. That yeah, I did that in pleasant my pleasant afternoon. Or 7.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, either way.
7: Oh, my God. (laughs)
11: Um, And this took place in the suburbs of Chicago, specifically the one that I spent several years of my childhood in. Uh, So kind of right down the street from the junior high that I went to. And on the way there, we passed some soccer fields that I recall having played soccer at as a child. I was not a good soccer player. I don't know why I was continually signed up for it. I remember doing a lot of like handstands and cartwheels at the wrong end of the field during those games. I was not very interested in soccer.
7: <laughs> were you Football. playing the game or were you a cheerleader?
11: Well, I technically I was on the team. <laughs> and I, yeah. That yeah. That's how I ended up uh, doing other sports. And then she was doing her hands finally realized
3: that and, I was, and then doing all those That was never going to <laughs> One of those kicks, right. you know, like into the goal, like so, upside down. So
7: when someone threw the, oh, I see, <laughs> threw the kick the ball your way, you were doing a
4: handstand.
11: So. Yes. Yes, basically. Okay. Yeah, I was not really participating sense. in the game. I was on the field. And that's about as much participation as I put into it. Um, but I did recognize those, so it was kind of funny. Um, and I, uh, I was invited by one of my good childhood friends. She did the race as well, and she's been doing it for a couple of years, Um now and this year we're like yep we put like no training into this but we're just gonna go out and send it and give it our all and we're gonna get um you know in the top three in our age group then we're looking at our age group and of course it's like the most competitive age group and like some of the age groups only have two three participants ours has like 24 um (laughs) but she's my friend goes every year for the past or every year that I've done this race. I've come in fourth place and I am bound and determined to make it on that podium this year. I said, sounds like a plan. Let's do this. So as we were signing up for it, um, she convinced me to sign up for it when she was here visiting me a couple months ago. And, um, we may or may not have been having some drinks in my kitchen when we were (laughs) filling out our application for this race. (laughs) No. So so she asked me, since I'm the, the swimmer with the swimming background, she asked me to um, calculate her estimated swim time and I gave her a number she said that sounds great so she put it down and then she went to pick up our bibs and realized that we were seated number four and number 12 and she said I don't think that's right because it's based on your swim time since that's the first sport that you do <laughs> ah mine was correct she was worried about hers it turned out to be be correct I was like no you're, you're a better swimmer than you give yourself credit for um, cool. so it was fun we were you know one of the first people in the because they they still had everything kind of spaced out um they had everyone start 30 seconds apart based on your bib number um what's that
7: i said hey man i'm spaced out sorry
11: spaced out carry on spaced out out. um so i did my swim i think i was somewhere just under four minutes so not super fast um and I have never I've done one triathlon before in my life, so I'm not really good at this whole transition thing where you have to like then run across the parking lot and get your bike and put your shoes on and you know put your bike helmet on and then back out onto the the course. Um, but not too bad on the transition times. I was on the bike and my friend came flying past me because she's put a lot more time into cycling um, in her life than I have. So oh, that's great. She's going to do really well to get on the podium. Um, And then we did the run and I ended up, I think I ended up passing her in transition though, because she was switching shoes and I just did everything in the same pair of shoes. Um, But long story short, um, overall, I think I was the, out of all the the women in the race, I was fifth and I ended up coming in third place in our age group. And my friend ended up in fourth again. Ah, no, you (laughs) beat her back to (laughs) fourth. Oh, she you said I'm not that I'm not inviting you to a race again
7: <laughs> no no you should have you should have looked back and said no come on you have third I'll... <laughs> yeah,
11: yeah yeah no it was fun though we had a good time good no, that's good, good to see her, well, good to well, see her family Well brief, done to brief, you brief getting visit. on the podium yeah it was it was good and and I think of the top five women so the so first second and third were all in my age group as well they took the the overall female winner out of the age group results so really I was fourth in my age group um, but that's neither here nor there and then I got beat by um, someone in the 60 to 64 year old age group which was a little humbling hmm. um, wow she had a very fast bike time ah. so but that gives me I like to see that it's like okay so when I'm you know in that age group I'll still be competitive and out there and
7: well it sounds to do me things. you'd have done a lot better if uh, you'd just done some
3: bicycle training
11: Probably, yeah. because yeah. you had I can't mentioned remember.
3: on the last show that that was your week, <laughs> your it week yeah. part. It is. Right. I
11: can't remember yes. the last time I actually rode a bike not on the trainer that I have set up in my um, home gym, mm-hmm. like actually out on the road. Can't tell you the last time I rode a bike on the road, except for this race that just happened. Um, is, is that because probably, of the, con-
7: the concussion or what? <laughs>
11: <laughs> the concussion, yeah. No, I'm afraid I would get a concussion <laughs> from... Your, from, from <laughs> your last bike, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I think the last time I rode a bike on the road was at the previous triathlon that I did, was which was probably in 2015. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, I probably would have done better, too, if I had not decided to fly to Chicago um, at like nine o'clock at night and gotten more than four and a half hours of sleep
3: that's so unusual for you Ugh. to do something like that stuff
11: i would never that doesn't sound yeah. like me at all i don't no. know why no, i would no. do those things
3: that's yes. normal for yeah.
11: stuff no. but then i had a very lovely brunch with um a couple of my aunts and then got on a plane and came home so i was in chicago oh, for about 16 hours it's
7: great sounds great did you have a, a chicago special meal you nope of
11: those? did not I, I had planned to get pizza, a. Or? I had planned to get an Italian beef sandwich for dinner, mm. but we were late getting out of Charlotte, and by the time I got there, I knew I just had to get to my friend's house because she was waiting up late for me to um, so that we could get to bed. And basically, the only thing open in the airport was McDonald's, so that's what I had for dinner. Lovely. So I fueled wow. my run with McDonald's. Good. Sounds good. Follow me for more great tips about how to be good at sports.
3: <laughs> Especially her nutrition plan. <laughs> my Absolutely, nutrition plan, yes. my,
11: my rest plan, my rest and recovery plan.
3: Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Yes. Very good.
11: So that's what I've been up to. It was fun.
3: Excellent. Well, I'm glad you did so well in that uh, triathlon. That's uh, impressive. Yeah. Impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick, how about yourself? Uh, how are the uh, sports going uh, with you?
4: Oh, 40s. well,
7: the sport's are doing pretty well, actually, because I'm down to sort of uh, club-level matches now. I'm still in uh, the West Surrey, which is a sort of county-area champion-of-champions match, so that's uh, doing okay. Uh, club-level, I'm through to the finals of the men's singles, and... Um, um nearly through to the final of the mixed pairs and the handicap single so yeah, progressing fine back is holding up just um, started getting some weird side effects from the uh, coda so uh, I am to a different uh, opioid now which uh, sent me to sleep this afternoon so I'm trying not to take it but yeah you know, needs must uh, it's actually been quite good today so uh, it just comes in case um However, on the good side, uh, I was able to hook up with uh, our great friend from PT UK. Uh, Mr. Bounds, Neville Bounds, mm, and oh. his lovely wife, Sue. So uh, they were spending the weekend in Winchester, which is my wife, Julie's favorite city. She did her teacher training there, and it is indeed a beautiful city. Cheers. Um, <laughs> cheers. <laughs> cheers. Yeah,
11: and, I just put that spoon anyway. uh, Here's That's to Winchester. <laughs> <laughs> yes. One of my Absolutely. favorite cities, too. I have no idea where it is. <laughs> That's great. <Yeah. laughs> Brilliant. I've and been there we
7: went to yeah oh. uh, yes you have and yes you did you that were there no yeah we were the, oh. did we go to the Wickham arms I can't remember that's a pub that yes uh, Chili loves we did um, yeah a really old-fashioned mm-hmm. uh, pub uh, well we went back there and uh, had very nice uh, meal and uh, quaffed lots of ale mm-hmm. and uh talked uh and scribble until we uh you know eventually parted company and dumped him back at his hotel but it was very pleasant uh so thank you for that uh mr and mrs neville um and the only other thing i'm going to talk about now i did mention it last show i um, going to have a, a uk meetup and uh now we have i've made some arrangements so Uh, The location is the Hangar Cafe at Fair Oaks Airport, which is just north of Woking. Uh, And it's going to be on Saturday, the 25th of September, uh, between around, there's no fixed time really, but between, sort of opens around 10am and I expect to depart the fix at about 2pm in the afternoon. So uh, we'll have lunch at the Hangar Cafe basically and have a few uh, coffees or... Uh, adult beverages, if you so desire. Um, there's the overlay. Um, the Hangar Cafe is the little bright spot in the top left corner. And um, remarkably, that is where I, that building is where I had my very first aviation job um, as a sort of airplane washer, toilet cleaner, um, general dog's body at the Fair Oaks School of Flying. They've now converted that building into the cafe, It's no longer a flying school, but that's where it all kicked off for me. So uh, anyone who wants to go, you don't have to let me know. Um, I know uh, Reuben uh, Wells and I know Adam Spink are going to be there. Um, But uh, we're just going to get together. If you want to fly in, of course, it's a a damned airport, so that shouldn't be a problem. (laughs) Just bear in mind, though, it's underneath the... (laughs) <laughs> Just yes, bear in mind. Mind. <laughs> yes. Just bear in mind it's underneath the uh london terminal control zone so uh you have to come in through a narrow corridor uh at about 1500 feet from memory probably changed over the years after all i did learn to fly there some 40 45 years ago it's probably changed a bit uh and do a kind of a visual approach uh, to get through that narrow corridor because there'll be um, you know, big airplanes flying just over your head, and if you go up too high, you get into trouble. Uh, and um, and but it's a nice little airport, and uh, they've they've now got a tarmac runway. I see. Uh, so we've got lots of stories from that airfield, from uh, you know watching my first aircraft crash to having one of my mates on the course turn his. Uh, uh, give his Cessna 150 folding undercarriage. That was quite amusing. It uh, doesn't normally no, have I folding said, undercarriage. I don't but think <laughs> they make a model that has retractable <laughs> that, folding gear, and I, he he managed to achieve that. Oh. Uh, and some, and some slight modifications. Other. Then these were <laughs> yes. modifications that occurred
11: while in flight or on. It was on landing.
7: landing. He yeah. got into a, mm. one of those lovely porpoising PIOs. Oh, yeah. oh, And eventually stumped the front end in. Uh, But there you go. So anyway, uh, fingers crossed it's good weather. And uh, there won't be too many uh, restrictions. Uh, So tick that in your diary. And if you can make it to uh, join us all for just to watch the airplanes
3: and have a drink on a Saturday lunchtime, that would be great. Uh, So uh, that's it, really. A little birdie told me that ATC doesn't speak good English at Fair Oaks either. Does it know. not? No, I don't know.
7: I don't know anything about that. Uh, that I, when I was there, they only had advisory, some advisory chap. He was a friend, mate, of mine in the tower, and I think all he did was basically give you the runway news and use some the QFE or something. But uh, no, I've no idea. Uh, there used to be a couple, a, a tower and a, something else you used to use to find your way in. Uh, but I don't know about things like that because I'm an airline pilot now or used to be
3: <laughs> very cool all right well i wish i were able to go and have fun with that with all you over there at your meetup at fair oaks but uh i'm sure that you'll you'll provide us uh some sort of report after the
7: oh yeah i'll have my recording equipment so if you're okay. going to pitch up be prepared to say something more intelligent than hello um <laughs> ha- Have a short story for us or something. Something clever. Uh, Exactly right. Uh, Adam says Ferrex is still a FISO, which I think stands for Flight Information Service Officer or something, rather than Air Traffic Controller. But uh, there you go. He'll he'll probably say. Anyway, that's it. Uh, And it's not for a while yet. So I'll mention it a few more times during now and then.
3: Well, speaking of uh, people that can't speak very good English, it's Carlos's birthday today. The, uh, <laughs> oh, <of> the- <laughs> hey, happy birthday Carlos! Hey, yes. Just kidding, <laughs> Carlos. Hello, Carlos. <laughs> you speak He's, okay English. Yeah, you, you. I understand him, and that's all that really matters, right? <laughs> Um, he, he's a fluent Maltese, i think <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, yeah carlos uh i hope you're uh, having a great birthday today thank you main man micah for reminding of us that uh of that fact and uh let's see oh you know last week um we uh, played in the uh, new segment the uh the duct taping of the passenger to a an airliner seat uh which actually did happen that was the true part of it the the correct part of our um, segment. Uh, The part of it that uh, wasn't exactly right was that, that um, flight attendant we, which we thought was the actual flight attendant is actually a comedian. I think even Nick said something, well, you know, he's got a career ahead of him. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Below 50% is the banner that is being displayed now on, on the, uh, on the video. (laughs) Um, So yeah, i I was taken hook, line, and sinker. I thought that that was actually the flight attendant, but no, uh, it it is not. It, this guy is a, a bona fide uh, comedian, and he's done several little uh, spoofs like this, uh, on various uh, people, and that that sort of thing. So, uh, the real spark, I think, is it was a,
11: it was a good touch that he put the um, newscasters at the end of it, though. That's what really, yeah. Kind
3: of- that's or was that really or a maybe, they were, taken, they, or maybe were, they were taken or maybe they were taken it. that could Who be knows? that's probably Either way, what happened it's funny yeah man. oh What's yeah it was story? great it was just uh not completely 100 percent real <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> but, yeah. yeah so just wanted to make and sure that did. everybody uh yeah uh, you know is straightened out by that and uh, yeah i uh i really thought that was the flight attendant so my bad. I did too. I thought it
7: was hilarious. Mm-hmm. That, that was great.
11: I think I learned the next day that it was not, and I did not bother to say anything to anyone here. But that's fine. I yeah. did not know at the time.
3: Well, I think it was. I think it was Liz that uh, told me at first. We got that,
11: feedback about it. Yeah, yeah
3: we got uh, Greg Peterson and Jonathan Keeling and several other others of you uh, pointing out the fact that we got that wrong. <sighs> oh well. It won't be the last time either. I can guarantee no, that.
11: No, don't don't have too high of expectations. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
3: so uh, earlier we, uh, or was it before we started the recording today? I think it was um, Tim Van Ram out in Northern California, uh, the West Coast APG group, and you can find that on Facebook if you're on the West Coast, especially in the Northern California area. Uh, they are having a meetup in Novato, uh, Marin County. Nevada. And Nevada. 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 Novato?
11: Novato. Okay. Novato. Novato, Novato.
3: N-O-V-A-T-O. I said it right. Gosh.
11: Not, not the so... state of Nevada.
3: No, Novato. No, I just
11: misheard. Okay. Yeah.
3: Novato, California. California in Marin County. And um, let's see. He says, vaccination is required. Please uh, look on Facebook for details. Again, the West Coast APG group. So. It's only three days from now, the 15th, and they only have four people signed up. I was planning on going. Unfortunately, some things kind of happened in my life. So
11: is it on Slack?
3: um, Are
11: there any Slackers that can
3: I don't know if it's on Slack or not. But hey, if you're if you're listening right now and you are a Slacker, uh, post something on there for for Tim. I don't know if Tim's a a Slack uh, APG member or not. But anyway, uh, so I'm expecting more of you to show up and for you all to have a great time and to send us some feedback. Audio. Yes. Uh, Kelly Kirk, speaking to meetups and not to be outdone by Tim Van Ram, says he's looking for APGers for a meetup at Fargo Airport. And he says, no masks or vax. So, you know, live dangerously and meet up with uh, Kelly Kirk in Fargo. Fargo. North Dakota and they don't have a date for that yet and then um, mark van Ram the uh, other van Ram brother uh, is going to be up at the udvarhazy Center in uh, at Dulles International Airport in the uh, uh, outside of Washington DC in uh, northern Virginia and the um, Udvarhazy Center is having innovations in flight um, this coming, sun, no, is it this Sunday or is it this Saturday? This Saturday or next Saturday? I don't remember. August 21st. There we go. I'm looking right at it. <laughs> August 21st <laughs> at the udvar Center, uh, Innovations in Flight. And uh, a lot of uh, folks that you'll, your names you'll, that you'll be familiar with will be on hand at Innovations in Flight, including that guy that likes to hang out in uh, restrooms wherever I am. Getting, uh, you know, showered up and talking about Slack. Uh, Our main man, Micah, is going to be there and his friend, Eric. And uh, let's see, who else is? I believe maybe Max Flight will show up. Uh, The uh, Airplane Geeks usually do a kind of a formal coverage of the event. But I don't believe this year that it's going to be a formal thing. Um, But they will be there. And uh, we'll hang out with you if you're going to show up as well. And uh, Micah, if you don't mind, you can uh, quickly, okay, Max Flight and David Vanderhoof will be there. And, yeah, and also the Airplane Geeks will be having their regular meetup at the Red Robin restaurant that evening, Saturday, the 21st. So check it out. And, uh, yeah, Kelly says, DM me on Slack sometime in September for the possible Fargo meetup. So we have all kinds of meetups out there. Hey, and if none of us on the APG crew can make it, no problem. You'll probably have more fun without us, actually. So, uh, you know, if you want to have, get a group together somewhere, although, nah, probably not. I think you'd have more fun with us, right?
11: You'd but, have more fun with us, but it's it's not a requirement for us to be there. If, exactly. If you would like to get together and, you know,
3: Absolutely. enjoy each other's yeah. company.
11: Please do. Yeah. We can donate.
3: Um, Let's see. Liz is asking if I'm going to be seeing Larry in Tulsa next week. I might be, Liz. Uh, I do have a Tulsa layover, I believe, on Monday of next week. And then I think I'm going to be back there again toward the end of the month. And I've been uh, talking with Josh Glaze as well. I think that's right. Josh Josh Glaze, um, who is also in the Tulsa area. And uh, so we're we're talking about uh, the possibility of a Tulsa meetup, perhaps. So stay tuned for information about that. Likely you'll see it on Twitter and Facebook and perhaps even on Slack. So again, stay tuned for all these great meetups that we're going to get all cranked up again. So that's exciting. Hey, <laughs> yes. Okay. And Liz communicated with me. She's not actually communicating me uh, with me um, vocally or over uh, the uh, control room comms because uh I forgot one of my cables to allow that to happen, but she is um, texting us in our little private chat, and she asked me, "Jeff, uh, did you um, did you do the overlays for the coffee fund?" Well, you know what the answer is. No, no, I did not. That's one another one of those things that I forgot. I'm I'm really just all out of sorts here for some reason. Anyway, we're gonna do the coffee fund anyway, and I'm going to uh, look over <laughs> below fifty percent. <laughs> Who threw that one up? Liz, Liz, thank you. Appreciate that. She has nothing better to do. So she just popped up the below 50% banner. <laughs> Absolutely. Can I I'm just so add that-
7: one final one, Jeff? Oh, yeah, sure. Because yeah, Stefan sure. has just posted that uh, they're going to have a combined omega Tau and come fly with this podcast meetup oh. on the 3rd of September in Stuttgart. Ooh. So uh, if uh, I'm sure the APGers uh, amongst us can uh, go and uh, gatecrash that one. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, so just go and crash their party, APG, and take it over.
11: Laura, are you available to um, yeah, go exactly to Germany right. in September?
7: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Just go and take it over and uh, tell them to yeah. stand by because the is are coming. Mm-hmm.
3: And we need to send her an, uh, an uh, Fly Acme Airlines flag, uh, which is kind of our official APG logo, because she's always carrying the flag and defending our honor, so... It's, uh, Absolutely. It would be appropriate for her to have a flag that she can carry with her at all times. Um, so, uh, yeah, very good. So check out the Omega Tau and uh, come fly come with, us. with us. podcast. I mean, um, meetup in Stuttgart on the 3rd of September.
4: Yeah.
3: Anybody else? Come on. Anybody else? No? Okay. That's enough. Now it's time for us to talk about those wonderful people that support us financially.
12: Johnny,
3: how much more coffee? Go, no, thanks! I love coffee, I love tea, I love the APG community. Coffee and tea, and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. All right, that is Jeff Smith singing the APG version of the Java Jive and. Couple of different ways to join the coffee fund, and uh, one is uh, PayPal, and we call it the coffee fund classic method, the the original, the OG. And since the last episode, we have a couple of folks that have taken advantage of that: Stephen Asprey, uh, Mazuts Karim, and Maurice Van Den acker uh, They all used the Coffee Fund Classic method to become members of the Coffee Fund cadre. And we also have another way that you can become a patron or a uh, member of that wonderful group of folks, and it's called Patreon. You can become a patron of the show. And since the last episode, we have a new producer. His name is Neil Herbert, or Herbert. And uh, again, if you want to find out information about Patreon or the Coffee Fun Classic method, please head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did, and we will too. Captain, incoming message. All right, how are we doing with the uh, physiological functions
11: i'm good i think nick is taking care of his
3: okay good it's good to hear um oh and he needs to be back here for this next one i see him coming back he's sitting down putting his earbuds back into his ears and you're waiting for me we are because um ladon sent us some more audio feedback and it has something to do with these uh scare buses i mean air buses so let's really yeah <laughs> let's, let's listen to what uh, Ladon has to say and I like to play around and say Leiden because I think it's kind of funny
1: <laughs> hello A V J crew and community um, just currently driving on my way home uh, from one of my flying lessons uh, still chipping away at the uh, the check ride prep I'm just flying around I actually just went up to just go fly. Um, it was pretty great. Uh, just going up in the pattern. Uh, using my solo endorsement. And uh, just doing some laps around the pattern. Uh, working on some soft field and short field techniques. Doing a mix of both. Um, a mix of uh, trying to land on a short soft field uh, scenario. Which is probably not ideal. But hey, I could do it. Um, but anyways, this feedback is not about me, it is actually, um, I was just thinking about the Airbus and how it has, um, two side sticks and I was listening to a podcast, another podcast, the and podcast, um, and they were talking about things, uh, you should be in like a two crew environment and just like CRM kind of stuff. And, uh, and three-way, um, verbal, I forget the term, but three-way verbal, um, handing off of controls. And I was thinking in the Airbus, um, it's not really that easy to, um, if you hand off the plane and make sure, uh, somebody else is actually flying the plane or actually stop flying the plane. Because, uh, in a Boeing, they both move simultaneously. Um... So, I was just wondering how that works, um, with the whole dual input kind of thing. I, I know, uh, the Airbus yells at you, telling you, a uh, dual input in a British voice. Um, so I was just wondering how that works. Um, like, if somebody is flying, let's say the captain's side is flying, and then the FO decides to start moving their stick around, uh, like, what well, what kind of goes on with the aircraft, um. So yeah, that's really all. Um, hope every guy. Hope all of you guys are doing well, and um, can't wait to listen to the next podcast that you guys publish. Have a great day.
3: Thank you, Ladon. So, Nick, uh, do you have any answers yes, for this young man regarding the side <clears throat> stick controller? And not sure what he was talking about that three way thing regarding transfer control, but
11: I think. I have, or you have the controls, I have the controls, you have the controls, type of thing, right? Like, where you yeah, say, uh, that, that's just positive that exchange would, of, oh.
7: yeah, that would be a procedure like that an airline would have. But uh, in my experience, it's a straightforward, uh, I have control, you have control. When you say I have control, you do so as you take control, and as you relinquish control, you say you have control. But uh, other people use different uh, words, but so long as there is a clear level of communication and just a sort of st- standard call, not something you just made up on the spot, that's fine. Um, Yeah, the pilot flying, obviously, is the man with his hand on the stick. You can both have your hands on the stick. Um, but uh, if the pilot monitoring starts moving it, then you will get the dual input. You'll get dual input, you'll get flashes and an arrow indicating uh, where the dual input's coming from, as well as the voice. Uh, so um, it, it's quite obvious that the other guy's putting control inputs in. Uh, if the uh, if it's the captain, yeah, well, he should never really do that. If you're going to take control, you take control. And as you say, I have control if you're doing so because the other guy's mishandling the aircraft. You also press the takeover button. There's only one red button on the uh, control stick of an Airbus, and it doesn't fire the missiles. It um, I
11: was going to say cuts. it wasn't like an ejection seat for the FO. <laughs> no, That's
7: only, an optional, uh, <laughs> optional <laughs> feature. Exactly. Uh, yeah, what it does is isolate uh, the stick. So you uh, the, when you press the red button, your stick. Uh, becomes the only stick that now works the other guy can do whatever he wants with the other one but none of his inputs are going to be registered if you hold that button pressed for more than 40 seconds then uh, it locks out the other stick completely uh, and, an airplane and crashes. Sp- <laughs> <laughs> the other stick you've still got your stick oh okay. uh, and the reason for that is uh if for some reason the other stick develops a fault where it's uh, providing a continuous input, or the other pilot has a seizure of some kind and he, you know, thrashes around moving the stick or leaves an input in as he has his heart attack. Uh, then, after 40 seconds of holding that red button, you can then let it go because his stick now won't come back unless you play some clever tricks. Um, and I'm thinking uh, there is a button on the, on the, um, Panel, we used to bring up all the systems, which is the emergency cancel button, and uh, that's the button you use if you've got a spurious but repetitive warning coming through. You can cancel it out so it won't reoccur that flight. Um, Something you only do if you're absolutely certain you know what you're doing, but I have a feeling if you press the reset button that's beside that you should bring his stick back but anyway that's by the by and i'm not absolutely certain of that it's been a while since i read the books but yeah it's it's very simple it's the same procedure as you would if you had yokes you're still going to say i have control you have control and relinquish control of the yoke you can follow the guy through probably but if he feels you on the controls then it might put him off a bit but um yeah um it it and it's perfectly logical. So all that still ha- happens. And you can have, uh, you know, your own control of the aircraft if you press that red button and cut the other pilot out if he's doing something wrong.
3: I kind of see where he's coming from because in the in, in his experience, the kind of airplane he's flying now, there is no autopilot, you know, and you're just flying. And then when somebody wants to take control of the airplane, there's a positive transfer of aircraft control. And part of it is yeah. not only the verbal part of it, but the actual physical part of it, you actually feel, you know, your yoke moving when the other one is, you know, jiggling the yoke, so to speak. Um, but uh, if you kind of transfer that over to the kind of airplane that I'm flying now, and you know, most of the time it's on autopilot, but we still do the transfer air- aircraft control. If we get busy doing something, I'll say, or if I'm going to make a PA, I'll say over here to First Officer Russ, hey, you have the aircraft and uh, the radios. And, and sometimes I'll even kind of act like i'm shaking the yoke but i'm not going to do that of course because i don't want to override the autopilot or kick the autopilot off or you know do something weird with the airplane and the passengers go what the heck is that uh so you know it's it's like we're not really moving the yoke in a transport category aircraft when we transfer control um just as you know the side stick controllers the same thing i guess the tactical or tactic uh feedback that you might get is that right tactile Ta- tactile that's it that's the word um ding thank you yeah bell insert bell here jeff okay um is um, <laughs> thank you uh the tactile feedback is not there, but I don't think it really needs to be there because really the tactile feedback is not there when we have everything hooked up to automation. So I don't know if that made any yeah. sense or not, but uh I think that's what he was no, kind of getting at. Complete you know? sense. Okay.
7: Yeah. Uh same yeah, thing, uh if if uh, you've got the autopilot in um both uh side sticks in the Airbus, solenoids uh will grip the stick so it feels solid. You can overpower those solenoids quite easily, but, you know, the the, the stick is feels uh, stationary. You know, you, you, if you could uh, use a definite clunk mm-hmm. when it locks uh, when the autopilot goes on. Um, and if you've both been, you know, uh, chatting on a long cruise and no one's been hand flying the aircraft and all of a sudden there is an emergency, um, it is common for air blast pilots for the pilot flying just to remind the crew particularly if there's been a crew change because you've got a heavy crew and one crew's gone off sleeping and the other crews come on uh for the handling pilots to say i have control just to remind you both who's flying the airplane and then call for ecam actions in other words for the uh, pilot monitoring to start actioning the emergency but the first thing he does is to reiterate that i have control ecam actions and that makes certain between the two of you you know who's flying
3: the airplane very important who's minding the store Mm. right there have been major accidents several (laughs) Mm. in history where somebody just assumed that you know joe over here is is flying the airplane or in yeah nobody's flying the airplane Including the autopilot, (laughs) exactly right. Yeah, Yeah. not good. Good question, though.
11: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it's it's sounds basic, but I'm sure people wonder about that, and it's yeah. And there's a lot of
7: misunderstanding concerning side sticks and whatever. But I mean, heaven's sake, military airplanes have had side sticks and control sticks, and lots of airplanes have that type of flight control, and no one really has a problem with them. It's an imagined problem, I think, from people who go. Well, how does that work? Yeah,
4: yeah. takes
7: Superiority all. Superiority
11: those... problem of people who like yolks better.
3: Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like <laughs> Ford and Chevy and, <laughs> and Dodge and pickup trucks, right? <laughs> yeah, all but I've I've always said,
7: if you're a professional driver or a professional pilot, you fly or drive whatever you're given to work with. It's, you sure. know, yeah. just get on with the job, guys. <laughs>
4: and That's I think,
11: right. I mean, it'd be very odd to make it through a longish flying career and not experience multiple different types of flight Mm -hmm. controls. Yeah,
3: Yeah. exactly. And, uh, Liz added Apple, Android, Nikon, Canon. Yeah. We can go on and on about the (laughs) little silly things (laughs) that we kind of, uh, argue about.
11: Well, for a few of those things, there's a clear uh, superiority.
3: (laughs) 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 Okay. Um, sorry. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, the other thing he talked about at the beginning of his audio feedback were um, uh, short field, soft field landings, and it looks like uh, I don't know if Ladon ever you, you ever hang out in the uh, in the live audience when we're recording the show or watch the video after the fact because you can watch the uh, chat relay uh, on YouTube. Uh, but they're having a really great discussion. I think it's about short field and soft field landings uh, stuff yeah question is, was, right? question
11: was asked about what um, from someone who is not a pilot um, just differences to be aware of on a grass versus pavement strip oh so okay they were going through um, different things that you might consider gotcha and do differently
3: well it's just uh, typical of what happens uh, when we're doing the show uh, sometimes the the chat gets off onto a tangent uh, and sometimes it's well, oftentimes, most of the time, it's probably more interested in what we're yakking about on the show. <laughs> so, you should check it out. Yeah, um, it's a lot Absolutely. of fun. Absolutely, they seem to be having a lot of fun. But hey, guys, pay yeah. attention. We're doing a show here. Okay. Now
11: they're they're debating the merits of one. Uh... <laughs> That's very good, Liz. They went into electronic medical records too, which brand is superior to others?
3: What? You're kidding, right? No. Where are they talking about that?
11: Right there. Epic versus all scripts.
3: Oh. Epic's better, by the way. Okay. I didn't even recognize that as...
11: I know. You, if you know, you know.
3: Just okay. It right. has nothing well. to do with
11: aviation, and I'm sorry I even mentioned it, but it, <laughs> it made me laugh. Thank you, Pliny.
3: <laughs> that is funny. Okay. Excellent. All right. Uh, thank you, Ladon, for sending in the audio feedback, and, uh, and we appreciate hearing all that road noise in the background while you're driving. <laughs> <laughs> Ambience. Uh, ambiance. Yes. Uh, Let's see. Let's continue with some more feedback. Uh, This one from Magnus um, regarding an interview with Captain Carlos Dardano, Taka Flight 110. That's a YouTube video. Anyway, he says, hey, Captain Jeff and crew, I hope you're doing well and having a lovely summer. (laughs) I know I am. Uh, I'm on a road trip through Sweden with my little Mazda MX-5 ND2. Open top, listening to your pod, Magnus. You know better than that. <laughs> he, he put a little, <laughs> a little uh, emoji. Um, I guess it's like little a little wink.
11: There, it's a grinning face. Yeah, a
3: grinning face. <laughs> he knows I don't like people to call these things pods. Anyway, here's a great interview by Mentor Pilot with Captain Carlos Dardano from Taka Flight One Ten, who landed on a grass levee adjacent to NASA's Michaud. Assembly facility? Is that the way you pronounce it? I don't know.
4: Sure.
3: Well, yeah, we're going to go for it. Nailed it. Uh, we're going to now play just a little snippet of um, Mentor Mentor Pilot's YouTube video with the, the interview with uh, Captain Dardano. And here we go. And I'm hoping that this is the right one that I'm going to hit.
10: Hi, everybody. And very welcome to Mentor and my summer paradise here in northern Sweden. Today, I have a real treat for you guys. I will be interviewing one of the real heroes of the aviation world, a pilot who has been shot through the head and lost his eye, yet continued to fly, which he's going to tell you all about, by the way. Uh, He's also managed to land an airliner without any engine power. I'm talking, of course, of the legendary Carlos Dardano, and here comes my interview with him. Stay tuned.
5: First of all, Captain Carlos Dardano, it is a pleasure to have you here on the Mentor Pilot YouTube channel. Thank you very much for taking your time to come in and talk to me.
10: Well, thank you. The pleasure is mine, and uh, thank you for having me. What, what stuck out to me, obviously, was
13: how you...
3: What a tease, huh? so we've
11: we've actually we've discussed that particular incident before
3: we have many times maybe twice multiple times multiple times um and the uh but the thing that's interesting about this interview and i didn't watch it long enough to where they're talking about this incident landing on the levee, but he talks about his uh, how he ended up losing his eye which is an amazing story i'm <laughs> like what mm-hmm. uh it was uh he was a victim of a terrorist attacked attack excuse me uh in a mm-hmm. ga airplane and yeah you really should um yeah because we always talk about him and the landing on the levee with a dual engine flame flame out uh, due to water ingestion um but uh yeah uh, never talk about the we say that he only has one eye but I, I don't recall ever talking about how he lost it. So,
7: well, I did mention it in my plain tale, mm-hmm. except that I'm, uh,
3: I'm, I'm thinking about um, <laughs> that plain tale. That I'm yeah, sure I was listening yeah. to the whole time. I'm sure I didn't leave and go to the you bathroom and get not. a beer. <laughs>
7: <laughs> just, just, just as I was telling everyone how he lost his eye. Oh, yeah, sh- uh, Which, that plain <laughs> tale you can uh, find on APG 327, or of course just go to the website and look for
3: it. And it's called The Dead Stick. <laughs> huh? Busted. So, I should, so should I should I um nice. should I cut this out? No, I'm not going to cut no. this out. I'm just going to show everybody what an idiot I am. <laughs> <laughs>
11: Episode 300 and what? That was a long time ago. You can't possibly be expecting to remember these
7: details. It was in stuff. the 300s. I don't even think it, I think it was before it was like,
3: I became one of the hosts of the show. <laughs> I think so, actually. <laughs> I'm pretty sure.
7: <laughs> well, uh... <laughs> Anyway, it's it's a great story, not because I tell it, because it is a great story. So, uh, um, if you know, if you you listen to the Mentor Pilot, or better still, listen to the Plane (laughs) Tale.
3: Yes, I. Hardly approve, <laughs> recommend. <laughs> uh, Jeff
11: has some homework to do. He's going to go listen to both of those things and then
7: he'll I with you, a yeah. recap, and I'm going to make notes and compare
3: the two, and I'll give my rating. And,
7: <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, we'll have a, a little uh, uh, test on the next
3: show. Yes, and Magnus, thanks for getting me in trouble there. <laughs> Actually, it was just all my fault. Name, it was not Good Magnus. Job. It was me just being an idiot. So I'm. I apologize, Nick. I, I do remember now but, that you're great. Well, they've been several hundred right.
7: plain tales. I don't expect you to remember them all.
3: Well, thank you. But, uh yeah, he's going to have words with me after the show for sure. I guarantee you. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, speaking of plain tales. Um this is some feedback from Dave. He says, "Hi Captain Nick. Thanks for this plane tail. Great as usual." And he's talking about the uh, Japanese airline JAL DC8 plane tail, which I believe was the last episode, right? It Ding. was uh the the Asho defense. Yes. See, I do listen. I pay attention sometimes. Okay. He says, uh, I recall as a child looking through a telescope from our living room in the San Francisco Peninsula Hills at that aircraft sitting in the bay. Later, of course, after the fog was gone. Here's a tiny follow-up to that story. My father was the manager of navigation engineering for United Airlines at the time. UAL had its major maintenance facility at San Francisco and was contracted by many airlines, including JAL for any maintenance required at that location that included most of the repair and salvage of this airplane i recall my father telling me about a big mistake in the initial recovery the aircraft well the, the initial big mistake was them landing in the bay but uh the recovery big mistake was uh let's see the aircraft stopped in a slightly nose up attitude with most of the fuselage above the water including the cockpit however The recovery crew lifted the tail first and flooded the cockpit and all the avionics therein with seawater. Yeah, they probably got uh, that's no problem, Uh, which resulted in a huge replacement rebuild expense that should have been avoided. He wanted engineers to get on board first and remove as much of that stuff as possible. But that wasn't the course that they ended up following. Uh, There was a bit more required than a hose down to refurbish that stuff. And again, that's uh, Dave E. from Palo Alto, California.
11: I have a very hard time saying Palo Alto. I really have to like slow down and Palo Alto. practice it.
3: That's Palo one, of the, one of the words that I'm not having trouble with today. I, I, I can't say that for many. <laughs> that's
11: why, that's why I, was, I was just putting it out there because I knew you were struggling with a few oh, things. Thanks. I just wanted you to know that occasionally I struggle with things too. And Palo Alto is one of them. And if I don't say it that slowly, it does not come out.
7: Properly. I understand. Mm -hmm. completely but going back to the feedback um
4: there was feedback (laughs) (laughs) okay i love it
7: (laughs) i love it that um you know these stories there are there are people who actually witnessed Uh, some of the events, uh, and who take the time to write in. The fact that there are listeners, I think, is remarkable in the first instance. I mean, uh, this is brilliant to have a personal recollection of an incident like that. I think it's fantastic. Um, I remember also um, the uh, Alaskan um, crash off L.A., uh, mm-hmm. the one where the uh, Acme nut Acme came up. off. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure we got feedback uh, from a pilot who was airborne at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, also from, you remember, we had murder on the flight deck. Um, some One of the pilots who was, in those stories, uh, a pilot who was murdered by a hijacker on the flight deck, uh, his son um, rode in and gave us... Uh, you know, um, a, an account of uh, from his point of view of Whitehead mm. which I think, yeah. is absolutely fantastic. So, I, I sometimes I, I have a little concern that I might get things wrong when I tell these stories, and that, or I might accidentally offend someone. But so nice to have uh, this kind of positive feedback uh, on a tale uh, from someone who actually was there and saw it. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Well done.
4: Mm-hmm.
11: No, and I, I mean, I would just add that I think that you put a lot of care and research into telling the stories, and um, I don't think you have to worry about that at all. I think if something is um, misrepresented or said incorrectly, it's not because you meant to do it, and I think you would get positive feedback um, on it no matter what.
7: Yeah,
3: his son. Maybe with His some... son, is that right, yeah. Liz? Yeah, his son. Yeah. son. yeah, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, you said that. Yeah. All right. Well, very good. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that uh, Dave kind of, um, you know, made me feel a little bit better about Plain Tales. Maybe made Nick (laughs) feel a little bit better as well. All right. Uh, I always feel good. Yeah. That's what she said. Okay. Um, Next item is from Mike. And he said, hi, just recently there was a discussion on the ABG podcast about how many times or not – the crew have gone around in their careers. As luck would have it, when I was flying into Minneapolis on July 16th on Delta, we did a go-around. It made me smile. It made some of the passengers nervous. But the crew quickly made a PA and said another aircraft didn't clear the runway in time, so we were going around. Safety first, he noted over the PA. I just thought that the timing was impeccable. And that's from Mike Smith and Maynard Mass. Very cool. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: And, uh, yeah, that's – in my experience, that's probably, you know, nine times out of ten the reason uh, that I've had to uh, get into a a go-around situation. It's because the aircraft that landed ahead of me hadn't cleared the runway in a timely manner. They they missed that last high-speed turnoff, and then they had to go to the end of the runway. And Mm -hmm. when that happens – it doesn't work out very well, usually. All right. Um, control room's telling me that we can play one more piece of feedback, even if it has to be from this guy, audio feedback, and then we'll do the uh, plain tail. So. All right. We put it off long enough, I guess. Let's uh, play this feedback. from. Well, well,
7: luckily, he's just left the chat room. Oh, so good. Perfect timing.
4: He <laughs>
11: did. So, you know, I just was concerned that this might be an attempt to take over our podcast as well. But
3: um, oh. since yeah. he's
11: left the chat room. You never
3: know. I don't know. You, we can't really tell what he's doing behind the scenes, can we?
11: Mm.
3: Mm. All right. True. Um, all right. Here we go. This is from our good friend and professional air traffic controller, adam spink
6: hi guys adam here from the uk some feedback on apg483 about the atc interactions with that aircraft going into boston um as much as it pains me to say it i agree with captain nick um (laughs) it was obvious there was something else going on it wasn't just communication issues language issues um there was something else going on, whether it was a technical issue or uh, CRM issues in the cockpit. Um, but they were the crew were obviously behind the aircraft, and when when you detect that as a controller, you need to, you know, abandon your usual sort of uh, procedures phraseo- Well, not phraseology. Obviously, we need to we need to keep standard phraseology, but your normal way of doing things, and and just slow down metaphorically put your arm around the pilot or the flight crew's shoulder and just say it's okay we've got this you know just it's going to be okay we'll get you on the ground and we can talk about it then you know we're on the same side here we're on the same team we're trying to achieve the same aim we want you to get on the ground as safely as possible that's it you know you you, if you keep trying to apply your normal procedures in the normal way When somebody's already struggling then it's just going to make things worse and again i have to agree with nick that i assume the controllers are mandated to say the words um was it possible pilot deviation um as a precursor maybe to for them then writing a report about the uh, about the occurrence um which i can understand why they have to say those words but i don't see the benefit sort that out when it's on the when the aircraft's on the ground as you guys discussed last time sort it out you know ring up the the tower if you're the tracon controller and get them to talk to the pilot when he's uh or the the flight crew when they're just about to park or when they have parked, and just say stay on the freak when you park, stay on the frequency or report parking on frequency and then when they report parking you just go in and say you know can you call this number um we're all on the same side here we're a service provider um, and the pilots are our customers, so we always need to bear that in mind. Um, it's it's something you know. I've I've said this before in feedback. I don't really get the idea of. Although it didn't happen in this case, I'm not you know singling out this particular case, but but almost punishing pilots for not understanding, for not doing what they're told. Um, you know the the whole sin bin uh, concept. I I don't I don't get that i'm sorry um and uh yeah so you know what i what i would have liked to have seen or you know certainly what i would have attempted to do is like i said develop that cooperative relationship with the flight crew especially as it's obvious they're in a bit of trouble with the aircraft they're behind the aircraft you know reduce the number of instructions you're giving in one transmission you know just say it one at a time descend to three thousand feet turn left heading zero four zero or whatever um and just you know try and develop that relationship get the flight crew to understand that you're helping them you're not going to punish them you're not going to um you know be sarcastic to them uh, and again i'm not saying that this happened in this case but but get the flight crew on side and um slow things down make things simple and everybody gets to where they want to go safely at the end of the day uh anyway that's um Come up to nearly four minutes. Um, I'm running out of time because I need to leave some more feedback for my other podcast, my main podcast, uh, the Plane Safety Podcast. Um, so uh, there'll probably be another episode of that coming out in about eight or nine months. So uh, I should probably give them some feedback as well. Anyway, I hope to see you all soon and uh, love to all. Bye. Oh, we love uh, Adam. Uh, oh. Yeah, he's not wrong, you know.
11: I mean.
3: That's why it's so funny, really. <laughs> I know, I know. It's funny. No, no, he, he's quite right. <laughs> but Adam is the consummate
7: professional when it comes to this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he has the ability to uh, be very uh, level-heavy. And uh, even, I suspect, if he was in a really upset with a pilot who might appear to be being deliberately obstructive, he would be... Very calm and even toned, and just deal with it uh, and um, sort it out afterwards. Uh, and I think he's exactly right. That's the way to do these things.
11: Yeah, it's not constructive and it's not helpful to become uh, to let your anger be shown over uh, communication on frequency. No, you, then, there's then no. You uh, become you can't, part of the problem. Exactly. You yeah. can't do anything constructive when that happens. We agree. we agree with you, too, Adam.
7: Yeah. Plenty, too, is a interesting thing. Uh, is there a thing in aviation like after-action debrief? Uh, most certainly, if, if there's been an occurrence on my flight deck uh, that I think w- needed to be dealt with, I would uh, close the cockpit door after we uh, parked up, and we'd have a discussion. Um, and if necessary, if we were on a layover, uh, then I'd say, uh, you know, let's talk about it in the bar, but I definitely, we need to talk about this. Uh, and if it involved um, other uh, agencies and it was important enough, then you'd try and arrange some kind of meeting with a, either air traffic or or whatever to discuss what went wrong. And, you know, it's one of the, the great things about aviation. We try not necessarily to find fault. We're always trying to find a way to improve the situation, not to pick holes in other people's uh um, behavior or, or or their attitude we just try and find ways to improve things so that you know the you
3: know everything gets better absolutely i agree thanks adam for sending in your feedback we do appreciate it and now it's about that time for this week's installment of the old pilots plane tales and this week's is entitled Four instructors walk into a bar. Part two.
7: The old pilots plain tales. Four instructors walked into a bar part two. A continuation of stories from a flying instructor's reunion.
14: What's your favorite story, DL? Favorite story? Yeah. I, I find it difficult because there, there, are, there are so many and, and, and it's well, so... tell them all. ...so diverse. <laughs> <laughs> didn't you nearly a joke? I mean, I mean uh, yeah, didn't you nearly a joke? Well, yes, I mean... Um, <laughs> no notes. <laughs> well, actually, I've got, I've got, a, I've got, a, I've got a book <laughs> I've and, and it's work. 25 years of RF accidents. Yeah. I managed to find it on a, a bookstore and it covers our whole period wow. uh, when we're in the Air Force and what you don't realise is that during that, uh, that period of time, we seem to lose about 25 aircraft a year mm-hmm. uh, and so forth. And some years were, were worse than that. Uh, and so when, when you analyse it, um, I mean, when we were at Valley as instructors, we had, before, we had all the photographs of the student courses on the wall. And um, originally, the graduation ceremony, I'm going offline here, the graduation ceremony was at um linton news that's where we all got our wings and then they decided to change it to um being at rf valley now all the photographs are on the walls of the students people had diligently put an e above their heads if they'd ejected and a halo above their heads if they died (laughs) all right and most of the courses had a lot of E's and a lot of halos. Wow. So when the uh, parents came to the first graduation ceremony, of course, they were then taken to the squadron and uh, having a wonderful day. And coming down the corridor, of course, then saying to their, their son or whatever, Oh, what are oh, these, these pictures? What, what are all these E's and halos? <laughs> <laughs> and once they told them, they were horrified. So. We had to remove them all. Oh, <laughs> any no. future graduations to downstairs. E for exceptional, but those for section. What you're referring to is, I think, um, in all of us, we we all had our little incident hmm. at some point or other. That, that's that's the thing. Uh, and and I thought I was pretty fortunate. Uh, I, was, I was doing okay, I hadn't any major incidents. And then at uh, when I was instructing at RF Valley, we had um uh, night flying coming up i was outside of currency so they decided uh, i have to go and get my currency um so i'm going to go off with a, one of the guys who are in currency uh, which was the uh, flight commander on the, the other flight so we taxi down and, and uh all's, all's good and um as we're taxiing down he says to me he says would well, do you want the takeoff for landing <laughs> and um I always like the landing. I feel you know, I've completed the sort and everything else. So that was my first mistake so <laughs> to, to say uh, I'll have the landing. So we get down and sure enough, we line up on the runway and we off we go. And uh, we're just lifting off and um, the wheels are coming up now. And all of a sudden, there's this almighty bang. The aircraft shudders and everything. And now I've had an engine surge in the Hawk, so I knew that was. There's no way this is an engine surge. This, this engine has done some serious damage. Now, as you know, that the briefing before takeoff is any major emergency below 250 knots with the gear up is climb to a safe height, point in a safe direction, and inject. There's no question about it. So um, you've got to remember when 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 the engine explodes like that, um, the electrics go. So the only light we had in the cockpit was the attention getters flashing like mad. So um, the thought process, I'm not going to knock off the attention gates. because it's the only thing I can see in this cockpit. <laughs> <laughs> because the last thing you think about is putting the emergency lighting on. Yeah. So so I'm sitting there. So the first thing I look at is, is the height and speed. So I look in, right, uh, 150 feet, 210 knots. Right, we're going out. He's flying it from the front cockpit because uh, he's decided to have the off. And uh, so, sure enough, he starts pulling up. Right. So, I go for the, the handle because I've got command eject in the back, waiting to just uh, point the same direction. And as I'm doing this, um, he shouts out, going for a hot relight. And I'm going, oh my goodness, has he seen something I haven't seen? I mean, I, I thought this was, the engine <laughs> had blown itself up. So, I look again, and the height's climbing up towards about 600, 800 feet now. So, I said, right, you deal with the aeroplane. I'll deal with the rest. And at this stage, I get a call from air traffic, which is saying, uh, uh, we've seen a, a large amount of flame coming out of the back of your aeroplane. Is this normal? gonna <laughs> <Stand by>. so, <laughs> so I then put out the usual mayday, 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 wait. Mm. Uh, and whilst we get on with this, a friend of mine, he's walking out to his aeroplane for night flying uh, across the road, uh, Jerry Whittingham, and... Um, as Ariokov takes off and the engine explodes, there's a massive amount of flame comes out the back. I mean, it lit the whole airfield up. They even saw it in the mess. And uh, he gets the silhouette of a fuel bowser with a flame behind it and thinks the fuel bowser is going up. So they both hit the ground and, and hide under the aeroplane. So we're now cli- <laughs> climbing up to... Good toward, place to hide. We're now climbing. We hit 800 feet, and now we start to go down. And... This comes back to what you're saying when you're in these situations it goes into slow motion everything is just complete slow motion in time and and i'm sitting there going well i've always wanted to eject <laughs> There's i was, always I one, thought about it? It, but i'm not so sure now <laughs> <laughs> anyway and and i find out afterwards he's thinking I wonder which hospital they'll take us to. (laughs) (laughs) These are sort of thought provoking So anyway, we're now going down into this sort of inky black hole of the estuary just beyond the the runway. And um, still waiting for this engine to to relight. And we're getting to 600 feet. So I'm starting to think, we we really need to get out of this thing. So I realise he's got his visor up and... um, and of course, you know, with the detonating cord mm. and the Hawk, yeah, you need your visor me. down, ideally.
7: In way of explanation, in order to improve the reaction time for the ejector seat, the Hawk aircraft uh, had the canopy lined with miniature detonating cord, which was coated in uh, a lead-like substance. Uh, which zigzagged up and down the Perspex. Uh, In the event of an ejection, as the ejector seat started moving, a striker would fire this detonating cord, uh, and there was a great deal of uh, splatter from the coating uh, in addition to uh, shards of plastic which would be sprayed around. But it allowed the seat to uh, literally be on the move as the canopy uh, shattered, um, taking about, a, you know, half a second or perhaps even a second off the reaction time for the ejector seat when compared with aircraft who had to jettison their canopies first.
14: So, and again, um, always saying that you mustn't, uh, yeah, mustn't um, uh, we use the word eject. So I thought, right, i have got to have to get him prepared. So I said, are you ready to go? To which he shouts back, no. Like, oh, my goodness. So, know, so thinking I'm, 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 I'm looking at it well, we've got a couple more seconds. I'm going to give it two more seconds and then and then we're off. And uh, so I find out later on he thought I was asking if the engine was going. But um, <laughs> anyway, so two more seconds. We're getting to about 400 feet now and the engine just starts to wind up. So it's starting to wind up slow, slow, slow. And if, gradually, as the power comes up, we start to level it off. And we get to the level of 200 feet at night. At night. And this engine, we got to 90%, and it's graunching like nobody's busy. There is a screech coming out of it. So we get to 90%, think, well, well, we've levelled it. We can hold it level at 90%, but we, we can't do anything. Else. We'll leave it at that. So we go out over the sea. I'm, I was thinking, well, we'll eject over the sea now. At least we've got it safe over the, off the land and so on. We'll eject the sea. And then we sit there and well, it's, it's maintaining height. We might as well try and see if we can do a fixed power back into the base.
7: Flying a fixed powered circuit uh, is a common technique for single engine jet aircraft, whereby you can complete a circuit with a uh, a set amount of power and not varying that power until you're absolutely certain you're going to arrive at the runway safely, um, effectively using your Um, flaps and gear to oppose uh, any additional um, power you have uh, by creating drag or leaving uh, those services till very late if you haven't got a very high fixed power setting. But uh, it's common for a jet engine to be able to run for quite a while on a set power setting, but the moment that the power is varied, uh, the engine uh, ceases.
14: so we go back into uh, the base and do a fixed powered into it, to land it, and as soon as uh, we pulled the throttle back, it just seized, boom, gone. And uh, climbed out the cockpit and uh, met the, uh, the sort of uh, welcoming party, of which one person had to say, uh, whoopee, we thought you were going to crash. And <laughs> as the guy in the front with me was about to hit the person, said, I, I grabbed his arm and said, come on, let's go to the bar anyway um we found out afterwards what had happened is that it shed a whole blade off the first stage of the low pressure and that blade had taken off every single blade off the second stage of the low pressure uh and a turbine and because it was out of balance the grunting—it was it was up against the titanium casing and you could actually see the groove in the titanium casing that it'd been making as oh, it'd been wow. spinning around but how on earth that engine started again? Because it was only the high pressure. And fortunately, all the bits went down the bypass. So, um, yeah. And what did you get for that, well, Dave? Did you get a I, you No, school? no, I got, I got uh, an endorsement on my license, yeah. you understand? Yeah. An endorsement? <laughs> yeah. As, you, as, you, as you, you know, a green endorsement, which says. You did get a medal. So, 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 well, <laughs> well, wonderful. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Did yes, you get yes. pay the pay rise? <laughs> didn't get that either, you know, Sad no, it. no, didn't get any bonuses or anything. No, I should, well, I it's
7: better than a red endorsement. A green or red endorsement was a permanent entry made in your logbook by your superiors uh, to either commend you for a particular act of skill uh, or, in the case of a red endorsement, uh, completely the opposite. I, I don't y- think yeah. they handed many of those around, <laughs> but no, yeah. no, Did you have any bang on it? Sorry,
14: did you have nearly early bang out? No, no. never any near midairs or anything. So you just had a boring fighter tour on your. Board? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no,
7: nothing so. ever happened. Yeah. Come on, guys. What's the funniest stories though we've got?
14: Well, I mean, uh, uh, again, it's a crashing incident, but it is funny in its own way. Is that um, uh, when I was on uh, twenty nine on the Phantom, and a guy came in with emergency at night, total hydraulic failure we were actually finished night flying, so we were in the bar, and uh, we heard the emergency state two coming back, and, um, and then we heard a ba-bang, and one of the guys turned around, I think they've ejected, oh. And then we heard the emergency state one. Well, what had happened is they'd come because of a total hydraulics failure, uh, they were coming in to take the wire, and uh, missed the wire. It was a, quite a heavy crosswind, so it's now pushing them off the side of the runway. And because they've missed the wire, they've gone into full reheat to go round again. And because you've lost the hydraulics, you're in manual rudder. And it takes 200 pounds of force to get full deflection on the rudder, which uh, the guy wasn't used to. So they now drift off the side of the runway and they're now on the grass at night in full reheat. So the, the, um, obviously the decision was, I've had enough of this and, and they eject. Of course, the the aircraft now is in full reheat, steaming down the grass, down the edge of the runway, uh, disappears over the main road, into the fields, and and eventually ends up as a ball of flame over there. So the the three crash tenders now that are waiting now uh, see the ball of flame in the distance, so right, off we go. So the first one goes shooting across the grass and and finds it's, it's boggy, so it gets bogged down. So the two behind then decide, well, we'd better get on the runway. And so they're shooting down the runway as fast as possible towards the ball of fire. In the headlights appears the navigator has landed on the runway <laughs> such that the first fire tender slams his brakes on and uh, the second, the other fire tender went into the back of it. <laughs> so, so, so we've oh now got fire <laughs> tender stuck oh in the mud, two fire tenders crash on the runway and an aircraft burned itself over <laughs> the main road somewhere.
12: <laughs> I love it. I when, uh, after I had my um, my ejection, I was uh, in the bar at Binbrook, and um, I bumped into a crew. I, I don't know what, whether they were a, a Phantom of a crew. I'm not quite sure. But were um, they handsome and, and uh, smart? No, they, were, they were really ugly, so they probably were a Phantom. Well, they a crew. Must have been Jaguar. So um, <laughs> uh, I get chatting to this crew, and, and this my accident seems to, for some reason, becomes you know it's known or talked about, and. Uh, one of these guys, uh, the, the pilot, he said to me, um, are you getting any sort of funny dreams? And I said, really? I said, well, what about the accident? He said, yeah, I said, I said, no, I'm not really. He said, oh, you, you probably will at some stage. I said, oh, "Why have you uh, ejected? He said, yeah, I, I ejected. I said, all right. So what did uh, you eject from? Uh, I said, I got out of a Canberra. I said, all right, and you, you were okay? And he said, yeah, I'm fine. And the other guy with him, who's, who's NAV, said, yeah, but... The navigator wasn't, and I'm thinking, oh dear, I've I've touched on a very (laughs) sensitive subject here. Mm. And this chap, the pilot said, no, actually what it was, was he said I was a test pilot at Boscombe Down, and uh, Canberra crashed in strange circumstances, so we got tasked with reconstructing the accident to see why this aircraft had crashed, and basically it had lost control on finals, doing a practice single engine approach. Mm. We thought it shouldn't have done so, they wanted to reconstruct the circumstance of the accident. So, I was given this camera, the same fuel load, the same weight, same (laughs) configuration, he said, and sent off to to do this again. You see, you can see the obviously was going to crush the airplane again. (laughs) However, they said they didn't want to risk another crew member. So, uh, apparently, when uh, the aircraft crashed there was a navigator in the the bomb aiming bay of this canberra Mm. and um what they did was they got like a a mannequin dummy and they put some lead weights and stuff to put it in this position so it would have exactly the same cfg and weight as the aircraft that had crashed but the Grand Crew, being Grand Crew, decided to have some fun, so they yeah. actually dressed this mannequin dummy up in a bone dome and a flying suit and boots and, and everything, you know, and flying gloves, the whole deal, OK, and put it in the bomber. So, again, you know, cut to the chase. Of course, he's, he's, he's flying the same profile, and, of course, the aircraft goes into a spin and crashes, and he ejects from it, OK, and he's fine. However, the aircraft goes into a, a spin, and it's quite a flat spin, so it lands it sort of pancakes into the ground, in almost one piece, but throws bits of it out of the actual fuselage. And one of the bits that got flown out was this mannequin got thrown clear (laughs) of the airplane. And this, I forget when this was, but the the aircraft crashes quite close to a road, and a car stops, and a a woman jumps out of the car and runs towards this body and the field. And tries to help it up, and it pulls his head off.
4: <laughs> oh, no. Oh,
2: no. Oh, uh, yeah. she's got dreams about that's, that. that. That's sort of dark
12: humour, really. I, I at, love it. Not everyone would find that funny. Oh, well.
7: well, that's been great, guys. Thanks very much for sharing your stories. Lovely to meet you all again. And, 40 years, um, right? Yeah, yeah. 40, 40, mm. 40 Yeah, absolutely. So cheers to you all. Yeah, cheers. cheers. Thanks, Nick. Yeah. can we go and get another bit now and we'll have to do the sound effects Yeah, <laughs> we'll do it again sometime mm. all the best my thanks again to DL, Barry and Nige for getting together and sharing a few of their memories
3: another great tale told by the very talented and creative hold pilot
11: the well, pilots, not so much. I would say. <laughs> All pilots, yeah, yeah.
7: Not, not so much me, but the, my very good storytelling friends. So, uh, thanks very much indeed, guys. Uh, that was that's been two great pain tales from that little, uh, uh, very beery chat we had uh, and a very pleasant uh, weekend. So, thanks very much indeed for Nigel uh, for uh, arranging us to get together and for the guys coming along. Do we get to more parts? After this one? No, I'm afraid that, that that's it. That
11: was it. Well, you'll yeah. have to get back together again, I guess. Uh, that's yeah, weird exactly.
7: They they were much too interested in uh, drinking than they were in talking to a microphone. <laughs> <I'm afraid>. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and who can blame them? Really? Can you blame them? Yeah. yeah.
7: Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
3: All right. Well, it's too bad we won't um, hear another one of those great plane tales with uh, these old pilots telling great stories. And uh, very entertaining. All right. Well, looks like we can now move on to some more feedback, which is always a good thing. So let's resume with, let's see, I'm trying to recall exactly where we were. I think um, Muriel, Mur- Mur- Muriel correct. Uh, says, uh, hi, crew. This is a short one. It's snowing in Brazil. Yes, Can you believe it? Over 50 cities in the south and east of the country got lots of snow this week. As you guys already know, I'm from Brazil, currently living in Acme Headquarters City. Anyway, going back to aviation, a lot of flights were canceled because of ice on the wings, and there is no anti-ice in the country. Well, we never needed it before. Crazy times. Oh, yeah. Good point. Hope you're all safe. Global warming. Yes. Yeah. And this would be a good time for me to... uh, try to find this and see if I hit the right one this time. Maybe not.
11: You can always go around?
3: Yes, I'm going to hit that one.
11: (laughs) We're going green. Yes! Nailed it. We're going green.
3: We're going to take care of the
13: earth.
4: We're going
7: green. Now, I always assumed that was to do with uh, you know energy and uh, looking after the atmosphere. I now realize it's to do with the um, squirting green Anti-icing liquid on oh, an airplane. Exactly, so you're exactly going, going green, green when you've been <laughs> green. You've been anti-iced, anti-iced, anti-iced. Yeah. Yes. anti-iced covered yeah. in
3: green gloop. Yep.
11: Mm.
3: Good point. Good observation, sir. Um, and that just reminds me. And I, I know we've talked about it, a few, or I've talked about it a couple of times before. But uh, there was a few years back. Uh, in or uh, tampa uh, i think it was a couple of different times where the temperatures dropped below the f- freezing point and dew formed on the wings and and most of the stations around that latitude and south were also experiencing that and of course they don't have any de-icing fluids or capabilities there either and so we just had to sit kind of pointed into the where the direction of where we thought the sun was going to come up Usually it's in the uh, east, and uh, <laughs> waited for the. <laughs> if you're on the
11: rounder, if you're on the flat Earth, I'm not entirely
3: sure. <laughs> yeah. Hey, southwest. Yeah. The other, the other way. Turn around. Point that way. Um. Yeah. We. Uh. And then we waited for the sun to come up and melt the uh, the frost off the wings. It was kind of ridiculous. I've done actually. that before. I have yeah.
11: done that. Like, well, what are you going to do? Wait.
3: Yep. Just wait eventually Mother Nature will take care of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Um,
7: A few bottles of vodka help, too.
3: Yeah? Well... just
7: pour pour those over the wings. Or you could drink them. I was going to say, yeah,
3: we're we're probably (laughs) we're not allowed (laughs) to do that.
11: Drink it. You'll get the courage just to go fly no matter what. It's fine.
3: (laughs) Exactly. It'll be your last flight anyway. So, might as well enjoy it. For a number of reasons. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, Rob writes uh, good day crew a little behind but a bit of history i didn't realize i was so closely connected to uh oh i needed to share this one so you can see what, rope has uh, a little behind uh, well i don't know i've not met Sounds him so i'm problem. not really sure <laughs> he hasn't oh, sent any I pictures thought you talking from personal knowledge sorry uh no i was not thank his you very own description. Much. yeah it was not my description it was his own you're right stuff all right, here we go. Um, so, and now you can actually see the words that he has written here and understand the context of everything. Um, uh, so, let's see. One of my food buddies posting his family history. Oh, I hope Rob doesn't mind that uh, I'm displaying his telephone number. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, with his permission, I have included a screenshot of his post. And this was out of AirwaysMag.com. Uh, The link's there. Um, Oh, I guess he just added that for context. Uh, He said, go home legs, go home legs, tailwinds and IPAs in the right order this time. And Rob Legal in Providence. And here is the thing that he was sharing with us with permission. um, A Facebook post from Eric Ripley. And Eric says, yesterday was the anniversary of the DC-10's first flight. My grandpa was the captain on that flight. My dad and my grandpa have both done pretty cool stuff in aviation. I hope I can add my own stories one day. And then uh, here's a picture of um, a, an envelope with American Airlines first flight DC-10 luxury liner on stamped on it. And some pretty cool U.S. airmail postage stamps. And in
7: the uk is we would we might call that a first day cover is that what that is i don't know a what a first day cover would be um a special envelope stamped uh on the day of that flight and then usually carried by the aircraft itself oh. um, i have never heard the term
3: i have not either okay all right obviously just be. a it uk
7: might. postal system thing
3: Or a Canadian thing, too. Liz is saying that she's heard that as well. Uh, Let's see. It's postmarked uh, Los Angeles, August 5th, 1971. Anyway. And then, of course, the link to an article regarding uh, American Airlines putting their uh, places, the DC-10, into service. And uh, some nice photos of the the old bird. And uh, so... Well, it Nothing. does
7: say 1971
3: there. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So. So, what
7: am I might missing? Might be. Yeah. Uh, no, it's just same date as the postmark. Oh. Same year as the postmark, not the right. same date, but. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, gotcha. Anyway, so here's uh, some pretty nice pictures of that uh, DC-10. And let's see. Ken Hayes says, first day cover is used here in the u.s Uh, for smart people maybe (laughs) thank you ken again our live audience making us hosts feel rather stupid you know i didn't really need to read that liz thank you very much next time i'm going to read it before i start saying it out loud okay (laughs) Um, anyway, if you're interested in um seeing the story from Airways Mag regarding the uh DC ten being put into service by American Airlines so many years ago, check it out in the show notes and all that. And thank you, Rob LoCal, for sharing that with us. All right. Um another Rob. This one same oh, Rob it's the same one. <laughs> Uh, he writes in good day, Jeff. Recently, in someone's feedback, they mentioned things to check out in Houston. Formerly living in Houston, on our last orders, I'm very familiar with Lone Star Flight Museum and agree entirely. It's a fantastic place. I highly suggest you take the time out of any layover and go check it out. It would be an excellent location for a meetup, and I'm sure the flight museum would love to be part be a part of a special edition APG episode too. Wow. Yeah, it wouldn't be any extra work at all. Thanks, Rob, for the suggestion. Um, as written by another... That cuts into my just sitting in my room drinking um, that I normally do on layover. so I don't know if I can squeeze that in. <laughs>
11: your your schedule's full already. Yeah,
3: it's really. pretty, pretty, pretty tight. It's,
11: you'll just have to, like, pencil it in. I'll
3: uh, uh, you might get bought free beer if you go to the museum. Oh, that's true. Okay, well, I might have to reconsider. As written by another, everything there is airworthy, setting... Uh, set up, ready to go. Flown nearly every weekend. With uh, sorry, uh, every. <laughs>
7: <laughs> I love that you
3: could
4: have
10: read that out
3: oh, <laughs> yes. from Liz. Yeah, uh, Liz says his schedule and his liver are full.
11: <laughs> ah. <laughs> How did I miss that? my. For some reason, my texts are coming through very um,
3: slow. I'm getting those delayed. little notifications on the screen, uh, the same yeah, screen that I'm reading these they're stories. they're delayed
11: on my screen. It comes through quicker on my phone, but I turned off the I notifications. I really,
3: really so try hard not to read them because sometimes when I do, that happens. I just start chuckling and have to stop reading my – uh, <laughs> Like
11: a very inappropriate time in a story. <laughs>
3: yeah. <Like. laughs> Okay, as written by another, everything is, there is airworthy, set up, ready to go, flown nearly every weekend with seats available to buy for a ride along. Then, as mentioned in the other's feedback, when tucked away for the night, all the oil drip pans come out. It's genuinely unique to walk into. Note they have an open invitation to all aviators to fly into Ellington EFD. EFD? What's EFD mean? And taxi straight up to the museum's apron to attend. They also have spare display spots available for the traveling aircraft of other museums. So there's always a new flavor there. Here's a little taste of some of the great planes they have displayed. This is one of nine remaining ME-262s in existence. But more amazingly, this is one of the three that is airworthy and flying often. I guess I should share this so you can see what the heck I'm talking about.
7: And uh, EFD, uh, EFD is EFD just is the I, identifier.
3: Is what
4: the, the identifier.
7: identifier? We're both trying to tell you at the same time.
3: The Sorry. identifier. Oh, EFD. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. I was thinking like Ellington Air Force Base. I'm thinking. I was expecting to see AFB, not EFD. And I think, huh? Never seen that. Okay. Uh, so let me share these pictures with you. All right. Share screen and window. And here we go. Share. And let me scroll down. There we go. Oh, look yeah. at that! Watch out! That is nice.
11: You got um, something in there you probably don't want on the screen.
3: Oh shoot! Well, <laughs> just don't. Just stop looking. <laughs> sorry, hey Rob. If you get <laughs> a lot of phone calls from people, <laughs> sorry. You know, maybe he wants people to call. That's what I'm thinking. Um, yeah. So there go. He's up in Providence. If you're in the area, give him a call. <laughs> And do a meetup. So, anyway, there's that uh, Messerschmitt uh, ME262, uh, one of nine that's remaining brilliant, in isn't it? existence. Yeah. Look at that. Beautiful. And that's a flying
7: version. Isn't that fantastic?
3: Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> Liz says, let's sign Rob up for a dating site. <laughs> I'm not sure his his wife <laughs> oh, will appreciate, I that. Would appreciate that. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sure he really would, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Um after all, there's not much to do in Providence. No. You there know. isn't. Yeah, there is. Drink <laughs> oh, okay. drink good beer and, and eat great and pizza go <laughs> and a date.
11: Go to boston or somewhere else oh
3: (laughs) there's some there's some really good restaurants in providence and other great things well i'm going to check them out next month Uh okay you do that (laughs) and uh, we do apologize to all of you in providence neat
7: looking airplane
3: that's dr steph uh i i'm offended i'm
11: offended by by dr Dr.
3: steph at at (laughs) at airline (laughs) pilot guy all right uh let's see Stephen writes in and this is Stephen hoover um, he says, hello, Jeff, and whoever today's crew is. <laughs> that a very Fair generic enough. greeting. Um, let's see. Uh, the This incident happened at the local airport last week, and I found it kind of interesting. It appears like the Swiss cheese struck again. They had a slight tailwind, and a rainstorm had just passed through the area, plus a 178-knot ground speed at the threshold. I'm not Ooh. a citation expert by any means, but my hunch tells me that's pretty fast. I think he's right. Spicy. So he gives us a link to the AviationSafety.net incident uh, report. And uh, he also found some live ATC audio, but he has no way of cutting it down. Oh, yeah, you do. Just download Audacity and do it. It's easy. Anyway, uh, I did it for you, though. Thank you uh, for giving me the uh, source files, Um, uh, Stephen. And uh, I'm going to play that audio right now. Here we go. Here we go. It's not playing. I'm not going to play that audio right now. I don't know why it's not playing. Hmm. All right, see if I can play Fix it through it the finder. Post. Could, could it do
7: occur to anyone that if the Swiss didn't make cheese, there'd be no accidents? Wow. I'm sure
11: we would blame it on some other um, nationalities. Food. With holes in it. <laughs> with holes in it.
3: <laughs> you think?
6: Uh, I'm
11: not um, sure. What else is out there? Uh, let's see. Surely there's something available to be used. We'll have to secret. think
6: Go on, of then something.
7: think of uh, uh, the
3: macaroni effect. Macaroni.
7: Liz <laughs> yeah, Liz, Liz likes macaroni. Where the holes line up nice and easily.
4: Mm hmm.
3: Okay. Macaroni. What a load of rubbish. <laughs> 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 I'm gonna see if this works here. I'm gonna play this in the Finder. Ready, four, six, Charlie, Fox, oh no, it's too the volume's way too low. Yeah, I'll fix it in post. But wait, no wait. Here here's the one I think is gonna work.
10: Ready, four, six, Charlie,
3: Fox. Nope. <laughs>
10: <laughs> That's
7: okay, I can hear it.
3: Yeah, was it, oh you can? Is it um yeah. is it good volume? Yeah.
7: Mm-hmm. Reasonable.
3: Oh, well then, why listenable. why is it that I can't hear it very oh. well? Uh, maybe <laughs> it's because I don't have it set up to hear. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to bump up the volume a little bit more. Let me know if it's too loud. Now.
7: But, but, volume, but, but, the volume. volume. All right. Here we go.
10: Ready four, six, Charlie Fox for 7, 5,000.
3: Okay.
9: Hey four, six, Charlie Fox Tower, uh, running approach. Descend, maintain three thousand. Verify it is
10: Romeo. We have Romeo going down to 3,000, requesting uh, runway uh, uh, 134-465, sorry about that. Hey, 6 Charlie Fox,
0: expect
10: runway 1-3, Airport 12 o'clock,
0: two 6 miles, advise and
10: say. Roger, we'll go and we get it in sync. We have a wind check. Uh, I know it's been kind of moving around down there for you guys. 6-5, wind
9: 180 at 5. It's usually been around 5-7 uh, to seven
10: knots from the southwest. Perfect, thank you so much. Yep, we'll keep 13 uh, on request for 4 6 shot, thank you. And uh parental for 46 six Charlie fox. Can we just get the left turn direct to go to line us up on uh one three? And six Charlie Fox I approved as at air force twelve o'clock one one miles. Uh Force inside for 46 Charlie Fox and just got it out of the haze. Hey Six Charlie Fox I cleared vision approach runway one three contact tower one one nine or point nineter. Cover visual one three and uh, ninety nine, six fox. Ready tower 46 six Charlie Fox
0: Trot visual one three. 46 four six Charlie Fox running tower, wind calm, runway one three, clear to land. One, three, Atlantic, search, six, five, five.
3: Okay, I think that's it. Um, Cessna 560XL. Cessna XL
0: six L- Charlie C- Fox, t- t- tower. xl oh. Aircraft at 3-1. Say again. Air 4-1, I'd like to respond to the aircraft at 3-1. Air 4-1, proceed request to cross runway 3-6. Roger. Okay. okay. Station 6-Charlie-Fox, driving tower.
3: Okay. I think that's it. (laughs) Sorry.
11: Are you sure? Final answer?
3: (laughs) I can barely... So, look, I can barely hear that audio. Really? It sounded fine. It's It's because of something I've... The way I have everything set up here, uh, I'm not used to uh, playing a clip that way. And so, for some reason, it's like extremely low volume, and I do apologize for (laughs) it. Basically ruining the, uh, the 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 climax of that is that the citation landed and uh, ended up going That's off the said. yeah going into the EMAS the uh, engineered materials arresting uh, system I believe as what that stands for. Uh, let's see, the aircraft sustained minor damage subsequent to the runway excursion during landing. At the Carl A. Spotts Field, uh, Reading, Pennsylvania, there were no reported injuries to the nine occupants aboard the airplane, which came to a stop. Oh, We just talked about that. Ground speed at the approach threshold was uh, one hundred and seventy-eight knots. Now, looking yeah, at the METAR, spicy, uh, yeah, METAR there, uh, two hundred uh, uh, degrees at five knots. That's really not much wind at all, and it's not. It wasn't really a tailwind. It's, if anything, a slight headwind, maybe one or two knots. Uh, because a uh, uh, one three zero and two hundred degrees—that's if I'm doing my math right—that's about seventy degrees. Seventy degrees. Yeah. Off. Awesome. So uh, here's the airport diagram and uh, runway one three six thousand three hundred and fifty feet long by one hundred and fifty feet wide. And then of course the only place on the airport with EMAS, lucky for them, <laughs> is at the end of runway one three. We're going to uh, need right runway there.
11: one three. Don't ask why. Yeah. We're just going <laughs> to. Yes.
3: Yeah, that's interesting. He kept asking, like, "We that's what we want." And he, I was expecting want one eight. Yeah,
11: which course, is shorter. But well,
7: yeah. mind you, the FBO is right at the end of one three, isn't
3: it? So,
11: tis. It it's also at the end of yeah, one
3: It's eight. even more convenient for one eight. It's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it is. But you know, he wanted one the longer runway. Short. That's what I'm assuming is you know he just wanted the longer runway and yeah, that makes sense. And the the winds were. Pretty light, light. Um, like hardly significant at all. Um, I'm not sure why they were carrying so much speed, though. That's uh, What's the elevation here? Not that high, is it?
11: It's Redding, Pennsylvania. No, oh, it's so, so it couldn't uh, be that high.
3: Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, Yeah. I don't know. Not sure what happened there.
11: The elevation is 343 feet at the touchdown zone of 1-3, okay. according to your diagram so there. Just
3: slightly. I guess all that macaroni just lined up. It did. Yeah.
11: Maybe it was Penny.
3: <laughs> we're we're starting a new thing, huh? Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the uh, the Swiss cheese. That's so old school. Yeah, yeah, you know. exactly. Just get with it. Anyway, well, thank you for sending that in, Stephen. We do appreciate that. And uh, if you want to read more, well, I pretty much read everything on this report. The nice thing was that. The EMAS did what it was supposed to, and nobody was injured or died in it, so that's good. I think it was just minor damage to the airplane, so that's a good thing. I don't know. What else to say about that?
7: Uh, uh, Were these professional
3: pilots, or did they own the airplane? Don't know. Does Uh, it say in the little uh, information box? Don't think so. It says owner-operator PV transport. I don't know. Owner operator. Well, I guess he won't fire himself then. Guess not. All right. How much time do we have left, Liz? Liz, hello. Oh, there you are. Just over 20 minutes. Thank you. Um, wait a minute. There's no delay. Uh, Liz, you're watching this live. <laughs> I have no excuse. Yeah, I do miss, uh, the control room, uh, uh, audio. Okay. Let's see. Uh, she wants to make sure that we cover uh number 15. So I'm going to jump to that right now. <laughs> no, she's, there's no reason to lash out at me, Liz. <laughs>
11: I said some, um, <laughs> this has not been her favorite way to communicate during the no, show. No,
3: it's not. <laughs> okay. Let's jump to 15 crew. <laughs> this is from Jeffrey. And he says, imagine how much fun this thing would be to take to Oshkosh or any other fly-in for that matter. And uh, so we do have some video to play for you. And I think this is pretty darn cool. That's not it. <laughs> Uh, okay, um, let me do it like this then instead.
11: You won't be able to hear it though.
3: <laughs> no, I will. This is, okay. this is not this is another different way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, open. RVtravel.com presents. It's true. Winnebago's amazing flying motorhomes. It's true.
13: Here is one of the most unusual recreation vehicles you will have ever seen. Starting in 1976, Winnebago Industries, in cooperation with Orlando Helicopter Airways, built the Winnebago or Itasca-Hila home in two floor plans. The first based on the Sikorsky S-55 and the larger one on the S-58, which you may recall from the 80s TV series Riptide. These Sikorsky helicopters saw action in Korea and Vietnam as well as service right here at home for the Coast Guard and the reserves. During the 1970s, a plan was hatched to offer these helicopters, modified as Winnebago's, which made them capable of RVing anywhere the bird could land. These were well equipped and should have been for the $300,000 price tag in 1970s money. These Gila homes had a full galley with stove and refrigerator, wet bar, hot and cold running water, a full bath with a hot shower and toilet, 6,000 BTU air conditioner, 40,000 BTU furnace, a music system and color TV, a three and a half kilowatt generator, an awning, two water tanks, two holding tanks, and sleeping for up to six. The purchaser had a few options including interior and exterior colors, amphibious floats for water landings, a canvas screened enclosure which we call a screen room today to attach to the awning, and they could upgrade the power plant from a gas engine to a Pratt & Whitney 600 shaft horsepower jet turbine engine. The cockpit was accessible from the living compartment making it FMCA membership eligible and came complete with all the communications and avionics you could need. The larger S58 had a 56-foot rotor diameter, which is about the same as a Class A motorhome's turning radius is today. Unloaded, it weighed in at 9,200 pounds with a 3,300 pound cargo carrying capacity. It had a maximum altitude of 8,000 feet and had a flight range of 3.5 hours at 100 to 110 miles per hour on 220 gallons of gas. In its day, the Winnebago-Itasca Gila home was a big deal and garnered quite a bit of attention. In September 1977, Hearst Publishing's Popular Mechanics dedicated its front cover to the flying camper that could let you go where you've never been before. The spread contains some of the few remaining pictures of the Gila homes we have today, in addition to a couple from Winnebago archives and two from aviation historians Glenn Chatfield and Peter Nicholson. There were a total of eight heli homes built and all are gone. But the base helicopters, or airframes as they're called, which were featured in this piece, are still flying under different configurations.
3: There you go. Winnebago's he- he- heli home. He- home? Heli home? Very cool. Um, I have to figure out a way to share this. Um this is from Spaceballs?
11: <laughs> yes, this is from Spaceballs. You started playing this, and I went, wait a minute, Spaceballs already did this. It's a this. more
3: modern version. <laughs> it's more Winnebago-ish looking it's, it's, with wings and jets. Yeah, it's
11: the a Winnebago spacecraft,
3: obviously. Yeah, well, uh, I just have to tell you right now that uh, I'm going to have to pause everything and uh, uh, cancel my order oh, for a moment. is my... it time
7: to start again?
3: Yeah, I'm going to cancel my order for my um, RV.
11: Uh huh. You need a uh, heli Winnebago. What what was it called? Yeah, why is it that I
3: can't get rid of this thing? Oops, no, that's not it. (laughs) Mm -mm. There we go. Well, it worked. Yeah, um, pretty cool, I think. Um, Yeah. So
7: just a helicopter. Well, that's that's inanely dangerous. I'd rather fly a
3: balloon than one of those. Oh, no.
11: Or the spaceballs version,
3: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Did, did you know? Did you notice that we had somebody comment about uh, your disdain for balloons <laughs> in our last YouTube video? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I said, yeah, you know, don't worry. take don't take Nick too seriously. He's just don't trying take to, it personally. <laughs> he's yes. yanking people's chains. That's all. Yeah.
7: By the way, uh, as an alternative to Swiss cheese, we could have donuts, bagels, oh, uh, simit, onion rings. Funyuns? Like? Wait, oh, is...
11: funyuns, definitely funyuns. Ooh, funyuns,
7: the funyun, yeah, the um, funyuns up. Oh, f- <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> calamari, that was another one. Okay, <laughs> oh, yeah. Lovely calamari.
3: See what these yeah. people have in our chat rooms. <laughs> <laughs> That's great.
11: Did that come from the chat room, or were oh. you just looking up? No, no, I that was. Uh, no, I, cir-
7: I was. I did that on oh, my, my own research. I just yeah. ass- oh, was, oh wow! That
11: was Nick's original research. There, excellent. That yeah, holes. Good. <laughs> I was trying to think of something like of a, a some sort of ethnic or national food, so we could blame it on a specific country. Still, like
3: the Swiss. oh, I see. Isn't, my Swiss. Uh,
7: Funyuns are probably uh, American. They're
11: definitely yeah.
3: American. <laughs> there you go, Funyuns. It is then. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's what we'll, from now on, we're not going to talk about the Swiss cheese effect. We're going to call the Funyun
7: effect. <laughs> oh, Principle. very good. The Funyun effect. The
11: funion, yeah. f- well, I, I think we really
7: have a show title.
11: Fun, <laughs> effect.
7: <laughs> if only I knew what a funyon was. Well,
11: you'll, a quick Google search will suffice. <laughs> yeah, um, you'll see. Suffice. <laughs> Oh. I, this is a complete aside and nothing to do with aviation. But in um, high school, actually, you could get Funyuns in our vending machine, and there was a kid who, like, ate a bag of Funyuns every day during the school year, and he saved the wrappers and he filled his locker with Funyun wrappers. At the end of the year, his locker was completely chock full of Funyun wrappers. I have no idea why he did that. I just
3: and we have no like idea why you shared it. <laughs> I <don't like> it. <laughs>
11: I just <laughs> odd recollection of you know yeah. we, fun, we, facts.
7: It's what it's what Steph
3: does. Fun yeah. yum facts.
11: Fun fun in
3: f- facts. Fun yum fun, right? Yun. Fun yum f u n y u n right or y o n y o n. I don't know. F- Steph. Get on that. I shouldn't be yelling she's
7: in a already, hotel. Room. She's already <laughs> sent you a picture if you look at your messages.
3: Your massages. Oh, well, okay. But so it's not very easy for me to Okay. F U N
11: Y U N S.
3: Okay. I see. Okay. Let me oh, is that not necessarily anything I need to share, but I'm going to anyway. Yes, Nick? Yes, what? Oh, I thought you were putting your hand up to say something.
7: Hand out what? Oh, I don't know.
3: (laughs) There we go. Funyuns. Funyuns. Onion-flavored rings. There we go. Kind of boring, actually, but cute. Okay. Um, Stop screen sharing. Here we go. And uh, we only have a few minutes left. I
11: like uh, Texas Charlie's (laughs) feedback, but whatever Liz recommends.
3: Wow, Liz is really getting quite acerbic there's a lot um,
11: it's it's no longer passive aggressive it's just no, just aggressive, just aggressive,
3: aggressive. <laughs> wow <laughs> you'd think that after a couple of weeks up in a nice tranquil she'd peaceful like, cabin that relax. she'd be so nice but you'd be wrong <laughs> let's,
11: let's do uh, texas charlie and, and call it a show I okay is the
3: consensus oh well i okay so i need to yeah. share this for the for sure then mm. i guess because there's a picture that i really don't i don't think i can read it you guys are gonna have to explain it to me <laughs> i don't really understand I, it
11: i will okay. Yeah, okay. I gotta, okay okay well i don't know that i understand it i will explain it in words that are not what it's listed okay but yeah i just it don't really says.
3: get i don't really understand the context but anyway okay nope. here we go <laughs> texas charlie uh dear captains and doctor I've been flying commercials since the early 60s, my first flight being a co- in a Connie, and my favorite airframe being the DC-3. The sound of a WASP radial engine is music to my ears, and the smell of jet exhaust is intoxicating. I'm never so at home as I am when I'm skimming cloud tops, but it's getting harder and harder for the economy-class passengers among us to keep loving the current airline experience. The last flight that yeah, I took I've was… i time to
11: upgrade to first class and business class. Just... There you go. Do whatever you got to do. Sell all your possessions. Give Steph a call and she'll
3: she'll Mm. hook you up. Hook you up. Uh, The last flight that I took was on an American Airlines Canadair, a CRJ of some sort, I guess. The seat in which I sat sloped downward so badly that I had to keep my (laughs) seatbelt fastened in order to (laughs) not slide onto the floor. (laughs) And uh, I purposely booked a seat on the emergency exit row in order to not sit with my knees firmly pressed into the seat in front of me. Then there's my fellow passengers, adding to the experience. The attached photo isn't mine, but it's emblematic of my recent flights. I know it's a first-world problem, but darn. <laughs> and uh, here's the picture. <laughs> there's a, 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 a baseball cap, I'm assuming. Um Oh, is that? I've seen. He's wearing I've seen some
11: equally. Yes, he was wearing a backwards. <laughs> okay. I've seen some equally offensive things recently, Texas Charlie, and I'm trying to remember what the one that I saw the other day in the airport was when I was on my way to Chicago, but it was so bad, I think I just blocked it from my, my memory.
3: Okay, so, Steph, you're going to be very creative in describing to the mm-hmm. folks that are not looking at this picture. What is it that he has on, emblazoned on his cap? This is someone who is
11: obviously a fan of Sir Mix-a-Lot's hit um, from the 90s, um, Baby Got Back, except he takes it much farther than that.
3: Well, oh, see, that's why um, I didn't understand this at all, because I have no idea what no, it has words nothing words do. He just with it. said. <laughs> <laughs>
11: <laughs> go ahead. It's um, not helping he, at all.
3: Okay, go ahead.
11: He's he's um soliciting for people in general I suppose I would assume perhaps of the other gender from his but maybe not
3: well, no. um doesn't look it, gender specific, specific to me It's
11: not gender specific to <laughs> reveal a, an area of their anatomy that you would not normally see
3: yeah, And everyone really, has one Not really sure why, why we'd want to one. be looking at that but I don't we, know but, but that's what
11: he is requesting
3: Get it But <laughs> um yeah Uh, Is that kind of like a New Orleans, a Mardi Gras, show me your passports?
11: I don't think so. I don't think this is actually a thing.
3: Oh, okay.
7: I hope it's not, because otherwise I'm never going to America again.
11: We'll make you feel right at home.
3: Yeah. Uh, This is something that you don't see very often. Thank goodness. All right. Thank you, Texas Charlie. We really appreciated that. Uh, Sorry about your wonderful or not so wonderful experience on the and liz
7: wants to know if uh, you're the butt of that joke jeff
3: apparently i am i'm the butt of everybody's joke anyway <laughs> that's gonna do it for today's show i know we're all sad about that and we're wrapping it up here and uh, so we're gonna point you over toward our website airline pilot guy see i'm pointing right now airline pilot guy Dot com. That. Oh, wait. Oh, okay. There we go. Pointing right there to the airlinepilotguy.com website. And you'll find all kinds of uh, interesting information about the crew and the community and the calendar and um, uh, this guy right here, his plane tails and uh, merchandise where you can get really cool T-shirts and such and other fun things. And uh, what else? I think I covered most everything. Um, so uh, if you want to send us feedback as Liz is trying to get us to do. Um, Nick's pointing at it right now. Feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. And if you want to send us audio feedback, you can use an audio recorder on your device and... What do you call that? Um, Record. Uh, yeah, but no, you you add it. You uh, I can't think of the word. <laughs> you It starts with an A. You speak. You add you it to your to it. email. <laughs> you attach. <laughs> you attach. <laughs> That's it. I I'm so even, glad we're
11: wrapping this show up.
3: I haven't had anything to drink. This is crazy. Okay, that's Attach probably why. The, yeah, that's maybe the, that's, that's the, why I only The operate. Error
11: of your ways.
3: <laughs> You're right. Uh, anyway, and also on the uh, website, uh, you can. Uh, there's a link over to, to uh, SpeakPipe. It's another way you can send us audio feedback. <laughs> I'm going to stop talking and let Steph tell you all about the social medias.
11: Hey, head on over to the social meds, as Jeff likes to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the cool kids still call it the social you know meds it. too. <laughs> we're on Twitter. Our handle is at APG Crew. You can find our individual Twitter information pinned to the top of that page. And we're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash airline pilot guy, and Instagram, APG Crew on the IG. And we would love to see you there. If you'd like to have an even more involved social media like experience, consider joining our Slack team. And I'm wondering if Hillel is has been uh, cleansing himself for this occasion. Oh, look at that.
3: I, I'm turning up the uh, volume of the hidden microphone in the, in the bathroom. <laughs> is hey, she hello? having an enema? Oh, hello. 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 Yes. <laughs> okay. I didn't even ask you what I wanted you to do, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Come on over here. Sit down and uh, don't get water over everything and tell us about Slack.
13: APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack.
3: Thanks a lot, Hello. All right, it's always nice for him to wherever i am to tell us all about slack you know
10: can you get me a roll of toilet paper
3: i'm right on it (laughs) (laughs) all right Uh, cool housekeeping we uh with that i think we'd be oh wait no we get to do this this week because she's actually here in the control room Liz. thank you liz our Producer, director, assistant in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, uh, for all of your hard work and help, Liz. We missed you. We really did. So glad that you're back.
11: Mm-hmm.
3: All right. Ooh, barely held
11: things. Barely held things together over the past two weeks.
3: Barely. Yes, but uh, now you now you're here, and we'll we'll get everything back on track. And now we'll say with that. We're going to bid you adieu and say, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds, talons, Douglas. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody,
7: suckers.
11: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's up in the
4: sky. It's the airline pilot guy. beep.
13: Good day.
9: to be such a good, good
11: pilot Till I started APG I
0: opened doors For little old ladies I helped them to their seats
10: Airline Like a guy I fly home.
11: No friends, cuz I'm always flying. I just don't have the time, but I can land this
14: old plane, I can land it just fine.
10: Airline, not a guy, I'm flying a red oh, Airline